shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks and their new Cosmic Cupcakes. To learn more, go to littledebbie.com forward slash Cosmic Cupcakes. With movies, gaming, books, comics, and collecting, a Little Debbie snack makes everything a little sweeter. Little Debbie, official snack of the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. where the fun begins a long time ago in a galaxy far far away this is rebel force radio your source for the force star wars news and commentary with jason swank and jimmy mack i've seen star wars 500 times star wars number one this station is now the ultimate power in the universe I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. And normally the show is a little bit like potluck. Lately, I bring a little something, Jimmy brings a little something, and we sit down, we eat together, and a little pre-planning goes on. But I'm flying blind tonight. I don't even, I don't know what's on the docket <laughs> to talk about. But it's going to be exciting. It's going to be like a show for me, too. But we will, uh... Sure, Jim will do his best to um, bring me along. You're here in the right place for Star Wars Talk, Rebel Force Radio for Friday, July 18th, 2014. So glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Glad to be back once again talking the wars. And here to help me, as I said, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yeah, we got a action-packed show tonight i'm telling you we have so much great stuff jason i uh, you know it, you got to come to the meetings it's all a surprise it's all gonna and, be a surprise now one thing that's not a surprise is we have steven stanton coming up later in the program so that's that's fantastic and um we'll be catching up with steven and uh, talking about uh not just uh, the uh, now highly acclaimed documentary life itself in which steven does uh, incredible voice doubling for uh, the late, great Roger Ebert, but we'll also talk about uh, his work on a fun new animated series for uh, uh, Disney XD, uh, the 7D. Uh, and, you know, we drop a few hints here and there about maybe another project he might have coming up uh, with, with, with Disney and Lucasfilm. When we get to the bottom of those photos that you might have seen with uh, uh, Stephen Stanton hanging out with uh, Dave Filoni. It might, it might yes. be more innocent than you think, but yeah, maybe not. And of course, we'll be talking Tarkin and all things Star Wars and Clone Wars with Steven. He's uh, always uh, up for a good Star Wars conversation. And we got great things to give away during this show. We have new casting announcements. We have listener feedback. This is an action-packed show. It is. And we're going to start off with a little bit of feedback. We've been wanting to share uh, or get rather to uh, feedback and one of these days we're gonna we're gonna do it right jim we're gonna get to all the feedback we always plan on getting to the feedback but unfortunately we put it at the end of the show so maybe in an upcoming show we'll just put it at the beginning of the show and let it fill up the middle of the show and take it all the way to the end of the show another listener feedback special is definitely coming soon here on rebel force radio so send us your emails at show at rebelforceradio.com or leave us a voicemail let your 
let your word be heard here on the Rebel Force Radio Airwaves because we want to share with you. We want to give all Star Wars fans everywhere a voice and believe you me. People are listening. So leave us a voicemail, 708-320-1RFR. That's 708-320-1737. And leave us a voicemail. Talk about anything. Talk about uh, new casting announcements in Star Wars Episode Seven. Talk to us about Star Wars Rebels. Talk to us about new directions that uh, Star Wars fiction is going in, be it novels or comics. Anything you want to talk about, even if it's... Uh, about your favorite vintage action figure, prune face. Or talk about us. And that's one way to get on the show. Argue with us. Put us in our place, you know. Bring uh, bring uh, some debate to the table. We're, we're all down with that. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, leave us a voicemail. Uh, drop us an email. You know how to get a hold of us. Or even just post up something on our Facebook page. We are looking and listening to everything you guys have to say. So here is uh, loyal Rebel Force Radio listener Benjamin writing about uh, some comments we made. Going back to our last show, the 4th of July show, he says, Hey guys, on your last show you were speculating about whether the fireworks at the Endor celebration in Return of the Jedi were being let off from the ground or being dropped by the X-Wings in the sky. Like you, I always had the I liked the idea that it was the fighters shooting them off, even if it really wasn't the case. However, I was reading The Making of Return of the Jedi book by J.W. Rinsler, and in it, there is a Joe Johnston storyboard of the funeral pyre scene. You can look on page 260. In the shot description, it says, quote, four separate formations of four fi- fighters, each speed across the sky, right to left, all are leaving trails of glorious fireworks in their wakes. Yes. To me, leaving trails of fireworks in their wake suggests that they were indeed dropping them. Although it could just mean they were flying past the fireworks in the sky, so it's hard to say what the original intention was or if that storyboard info was actually translated into the final shot. I think it definitely lends credibility to the idea that the rebel fighters were dropping the fireworks, though. So it's okay for us to believe that in the cooler explanation. So, Benjamin, thank you for that. It's always great to... When your your instincts, Jim, when the things that you kind of thought were true turn out to be uh, true, I think, and I would take this. I think this is the. I think this is case closed on this. I think if there is a Joe Johnston storyboard that indicates that this is the way it was, then that's the way it is. Yeah, there are fewer higher authorities on the art direction of Star Wars than Joe Johnston, and of course, uh, his connection to ILM is. Absolutely incredible and legendary. And, uh, yeah, if, if Joe says they're leaving trails of glorious fireworks in their wakes, I interpret that to mean that the X-Wings themselves are actually deploying said fireworks. So I dig it. I think that's a great idea, and I would love to see that live in, in person one year on the 4th of July. I also like the idea that they were so confident of their victory that they were packing fireworks. They loaded up the fire. I, <laughs> I mean, were they popping the champagne too? I mean, you know, you know what happened to uh, to Dak when he got a little overconfident, right? So overconfidence doesn't necessarily bode too well for uh, for the rebels. Yeah, but that was Hoth. Yeah, true. Since Endor, they had the Bothans sneak them some information, so they knew how to approach it. So Akbar was probably like. Make sure the shield is down before you start your attack run, and be sure to load up on cosmic blasters. 
Roman candles. <laughs> now, who sells the fireworks in the Star Wars universe? Is that well, we a Jawa just, thing? Is that what we were? Yeah, yeah we yeah. were discussing that last week because you know we determined that Gandalf was the main supplier of fireworks in Middle Earth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we we couldn't determine who actually was the uh, supplier of fireworks in the Star Wars galaxy, but. I like to think of the Jawas. You know, when they, they cruise around, they got more than droids in there. You just know it. You know, hey, what do you got in there? You got some uh, cherry bombs? What do you got, Jawa? <laughs> well, you know, if you've ever been to one of those fireworks stores, you know, because you usually have to, at least in Ohio, we have to cross the border to get to one of those. And uh, it, seriously, the people working there look like something out of Star Wars. <laughs> right, at least out of the creature cantina. No doubt. Yeah. So, but, you know, uh, great Fourth of July. I, I'm sure you had one, uh, you know, just a fabulous time as well, Jason. I did. I did. You know, I, I get to work usually, you know, after a, after a long weekend and people look at me and they're like, oh, wow, you, you look, you, you got some sun and what were you out on a boat or whatever? And I'm like, yeah, you know, some, some sun and some sand. What they don't know is it's a sandbox. It's a sandbox in the backyard, playing with the kids. And I, I tell you, it's a great way to work on your tan, or in my case, I'm Irish, so my burn, and, uh, and, and you know, look like you did something over the weekend. But, you know, we were, um, and you know, Jim, it's impossible to, play, impossible to play with the kids in the sandbox without getting your R2-D2 and your C-3PO action figure and making the little prints. And, you have you know, to. You got to do that. It's mandatory. It's mandatory. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, uh, if the, you're starting to get a little sunburn, maybe you want to throw on a Rebel Force Radio T-shirt. And uh, cover up that skin from burning. You know what I'm saying? It's T-shirt time. You don't know the power of the dark side. It's the Rebel Force Radio T-shirt in dark side black. If you only knew the power of the dark side. Rebel Force Radio T-shirts available now at shotglassdigital.com. Get one now before they're gone. It is your destiny. All right, we've got one to give away. Jim, who's the lucky winner? That's right. We announced on uh, our last show before the 4th of July that we're giving away a Rebel Force Radio t-shirt. All you had to do to become eligible to win was share our weekly show post on Facebook, meaning that all you have to do is go to Facebook on the day we release our show. We always put up a post big and bold. gives you a link to the show. It gives you all the details on the show and what really helps spread the word about Rebel Force Radio is when you guys share those posts. And uh, it just brings more people to uh, the table that we call Rebel Force Radio and our uh, fun Star Wars conversations each and every week. So, gosh, lots of people shared the post. And uh, at random, uh, we chose a, a winner. And uh, it's a guy named Mark Dunville, Mark Dunville, you win yourself a Rebel Force Radio T-shirt in any size you want it. We have them all. We're fully stocked. Uh, you can pick them up at shotglassdigital.com. Just click on the shop link, and that will take you to the place you need to be to get yourself a Rebel Force Radio T-shirt. So I'm so excited for Mark. And as I started to uh, take a closer look at his post after I chose a random, I, I, I saw he left a nice message which uh, you don't have to do, but we appreciate when you give us your personal stamp of approval. And Mark did just that when he said, no better way to pass the time while working out of town than listening to some high-quality, high-class, high-excitement Star Wars podcasting. Wow. It's class? It's Quality? Yeah. <laughs> Excitement. <laughs> you name it. We got it. And then um, 
you know, so he, he, he posted that up and I was like, wow, that was such a nice thing to do. And then I looked at the comments beneath his post and, uh, you know, uh, recently we've talked on the show here about my, uh, my younger sister, Sheila, who, uh, who, uh, looked at me on, uh, new year's Eve as I was preparing to do the, uh, yearly tradition of blowing up the death star at midnight by starting Star Wars A New Hope at the exact time you need to start it at, which is 10.02 p.m. and 48 seconds, you start Star Wars A New Hope, the Death Star blows up at exactly midnight. And it's a yearly tradition for me. I, I, I love doing it. And well, I was, it was. I was, <laughs> I was spending time with um, my mom and dad and brother and sister, and my family was there. And, you know, we were all gathered together for New Year's Eve. And um, I think... Um, it might have been Wendy or it might have been my brother, Bill, who said, are you going to go get the movie ready? And um, my sister looked at me and with a grimace on her face, she said, what, what is this? Is this some kind of nerd thing? And it just it, it hit me. It hit me in my core. I mean, it took the wind out of my sails. I felt completely deflated, defeated, and for the first time in my entire life, unmotivated to watch Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. So I was, uh, I'm, I'm still, I still have shivers thinking about. It. I, I gotta, I gotta ask you though, because we, we've heard this. This is a, this is a classic Jimmy Mac tale, and I love hearing it because I could just, I can just picture it. And but the fact that it shook you to the point where you passed on such a noble and long-standing tradition in the Mac house for the holiday season. Was there a moment where, I mean, did you agree with your sister? Were you ashamed? What, What was it? Were you outraged? What made you stop what you were doing? It was probably more outrage. Of course I wasn't ashamed. How dare you? Well, I, 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 it begs the question. Well, I, of course it does, but, you got to keep in mind, I wasn't in my house. I was That's at my true. parents' house. And All right, was, if you'd have been in your house, would you have, what would you have done? I would have started the film. Yeah. Would you even I, respond well, to your sister? No. No. I, even, I, I was just like, this isn't worth my time. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like I just kind of let it slide, you know. And I just I sat there fuming. So keeping this story in mind. I looked at the comments underneath our winner, Mark Dunville's awesome affirming post for Rebel Force Radio. And, and I see there's a, a comment right underneath it from a Crystal Dunville. And it just simply says, God, you're a nerd. And immediately I thought, well, this has to be his sister. This is just, <laughs> This is the same situation I was involved in. It's his sister. And sister. So, sister. So you have a bratty sister. <laughs> but Mark responds, but I can win a shirt. See, Mark is keeping it all very focused. Hmm. He wants that Rebel Force Radio t-shirt, and I don't blame him because it's an awesome shirt. And Mark even follows it up with another post. An awesome Rebel Force Radio shirt. So he knows. Oh, yeah. He's not going to be backed down by Crystal. 
And uh, then Mark even continues. He can't stop now. (laughs) (laughs) He almost knows I'm looking at this. It's like a commercial. Yeah, because he goes, they've just restocked all sizes, and they're available at shotglassdigital.com for anyone interested. LOL. So now he knows, you know, he's like, he's crossed the line. He's egging her on. (laughs) He's gone too far. And so she just simply types back, wow. (laughs) And Crystal, so I did some research, and I discovered Crystal is actually uh, his wife. (laughs) So it's it's not a bratty little sister situation at all. It's uh, lack of support from his old lady. See, now, my wife and I, we will email through the day uh, back and forth. Do you email with your wife back and forth at all? Oh, we're in constant contact throughout the day. Are okay. You- okay. I, oh. yeah, it's a good way to kind of get the business, the busyness, uh, you know, handled. Who's picking up the kids? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? Right. Um, now, my wife is not on social media at all. But even if she was, I mean, do you, are you back and forth with, with Wendy on, on, on the Facebook? Never. I might Never. click like on a photo or share something. Um, very rarely will I comment on anything she posts. Now, you won't be- make fun of her on there, obviously. No, I would never do that. Yeah. So like, what, what gives, Crystal? Unless this is some sort of uh, uh, frame-up job, right? Where they're, they're like, hey, let's do this. This will win me a T-shirt. No, because I never made it clear that... Um, I would be judging any uh, comments or anything like that. And quite honestly, I did pick Mark's name at random. Ah, okay. And uh, it wasn't until I chose his name that I actually saw these comments. And I immediately thought that uh, Mark is simpatico with me. You know, we're both going through the same bit of business from a younger sibling. But uh, no, uh, Crystal is actually his wife. So um, right now, Mark is like, well, do I let her hear this show or uh, should I just get the shirt and shut my mouth? Yeah, right. <laughs> Roll the dice, Mark. But uh, <laughs> That's up to you. You know, this is this is out of our hands now. Right. So, uh, but uh, but so congratulations, Mark. Uh, we'll be getting a hold of you to see what size you require. And um, you know what? Maybe we'll float one out to Crystal, too. What the heck? I think I'll uh, send her a shirt, too, so she can say it loud and proud. Rebel Force Radio. And you know what? So I'm not done, though. I'm not done. No? I want want to roll this over one more week because the response was so awesome. And I want everyone to have a chance to win a Rebel Force Radio T-shirt. So once again... Same rules are in, are in effect. If you want to become eligible to win a free Rebel Force Radio t-shirt, all you have to do is share our weekly show post that we put up on Facebook. You just look at that show post when it says new show, Rebel Force Radio, Stephen Stanton, you know, all the cool things that are happening in this week's show. We put that all in the post. We put a link to the show. All you have to do is click share on that. And if you want to put wacky comments up there, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to start looking a little bit more closely at all that. It's not going to give you an edge or anything, but I love to see it. <laughs> so yeah. it gives us a good story here on the show, too. So, yes, please share the show posts. And you can be like Mark Dunville and his wife, Crystal, and go home with Rebel Force Radio T-shirts. So uh, we're very excited to give you guys the opportunity to win. And uh, we, we, we're not going to stop there, though. We cannot stop there, Jason. We are just feeling generosity course through our veins like midi-chlorians. Yes. Yes. We- we're going we're, we're to give more stuff away. 
we're going to give away, well, we're going to give away another T-shirt next week. Let's let's do that, and then also, I think you're referring to uh, maybe our little Debbies. Yes, little Debbies. So T-shirts and little Debbies. So we're going to clothe you and feed you. My gosh, we're benevolent because we've been running this great promotion with Little Debbie to get the word out about their awesome cosmic cupcakes. So all you have to do is hit the social networks and post something mentioning Cosmic Cupcakes and Rebel Force Radio. Uh, The place you want to do it is Little Debbie's official Facebook page. Put it on our Facebook page or tweet at Little Debbie. Include hashtag Rebel Force Radio, and you'll be eligible to win a Little Debbie snack pack, a galactic snack pack, including new Cosmic Cupcakes. They are awesome. They are delicious. They are perfect for the summertime. If you're hitting the beach, you're hitting the picnics, going to family reunions, bring the Little Debbie with you, and everyone will have big smiles on their face. Little Debbie, of course, is the official snack cake of us here at Rebel Force Radio. This week's winner of a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack is Brian Snook. Brian Snook is a friend of ours here at the show, but that's not why he's going to win a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack. He's going to win it because he creates so much cool Rebel Force Radio artwork. He's done some great Little Debbie tributes, and he posts them up on our Facebook page, and we share them with the world. And I thought, you know what? It's time Brian got some payment for all of his hard work, so we're floating a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack to his doorstep. So... That's all you have to do to be able to win is just spread the good word about Little Debbie, Cosmic Cupcakes, and Rebel Force Radio. Put it all into one great package, and then you might be getting one great package delivered to your house. And inside that package will be killer snack cakes from Little Debbie. Each and every week here at Rebel Force Radio, we're giving away galactic snack packs. So get the word out on Twitter and Facebook today. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. All right, as I said, I have no idea what's about to appear in front of me, so I'm going to Ron Burgundy it and just start reading. Confirmed Crystal Clark and Pip Anderson from Open Casting Call join Episode 7 cast. That's right. You remember all of those different auditions that they had, over 37,000 hopefuls attended with another 30,000 submitting applications. It spanned 11 cities across the United States and uh, the UK. So after all that time and all of those folks walking through the doors, they found two actors to join the cast of Episode 7, Crystal Clark, an American actress studying in Glasgow, UK. She has both stage and screen acting experience and uh, is soon to be seen in her first feature, The Moon and the Sun. That's coming out in 2015. Um, A a lovely, a lovely uh, young lady. And also British actor Pip Anderson. He's a skilled practitioner of parkour, a discipline that involves propelling oneself through any given environment with incredible grace and agility. Now, that kind of gained uh, uh, worldwide fame with the release of Casino Royale, if you've ever seen that. Uh, the first Daniel Craig Bond film where they have that incredible uh, race in Madagascar uh, and uh, the guy is just uh, running and running and running and using all the objects around him to uh, to propel himself and around and above and all of that. So uh, pretty, pretty amazing stuff. So definitely quite a uh, an athlete. 
So uh, Pip recently demonstrated this skill in an ad for uh, Sony promoting Spider-Man. I saw it. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, it's great. It's on uh, YouTube. As a matter of fact, when I, I learned Pip Anderson had been cast in Star Wars Episode Seven, I decided to uh, look into some of his demo reels and uh, this uh, Sony ad he did for uh, Spider-Man. And it's, it's really enjoyable and such a great display of physical ability to see him negotiate his way around urban environments by propelling himself. It's a Jedi trait, right? Well, it, it looks very Jedi. As a matter of fact, this bit of casting takes me back to Star Wars Episode One and Ray Park being cast in the role of Darth Maul, where it's more than a stuntman. They're bringing acting chops to the table as well. They're going to embody their character. They are going to portray these characters 100%. There's no need to bring in stunt doubles because of the natural ability a guy like Pip Anderson has. So knowing what I know about what Ray Park brought to the table in Star Wars. I cannot wait to see what Pip Anderson is going to bring to the table. And you'll know what I'm talking about if you watch his parkour demonstrations, either in this Spider-Man Sony ad or in other reels that he has. Uh, PipTricks.com is the place you want to go to see all of his incredible stunts on video. And it, it is great stuff. So I can't wait to see how the parkour is going to be brought into the Star Wars universe. Because the only other time I've seen it, like you said, Jason, is in Casino Royale, the opening sequence. What a, what a great debut for Daniel Craig to be involved in that action sequence. Uh, it it's actually takes your breath away. And uh, the other pop culture reference I have that contains parkour is, of course, NBC's The Office. Parkour! Michael. Parkour! Parkour! Extreme! Parkour! Parkour! This is parkour. Internet sensation of 2004. And it was in one of the Bond films. It's pretty impressive. The goal is to get from point A to point B as creatively as possible. So technically, they are doing parkour as long as point A is delusion and point B is the hospital. <laughs> okay, we all go together or we go one at a time. Here it is, here it is. Uh, truck to refrigerators to dumpster, 360 spin onto the palace, backflip gainer into the trash can. Yeah, gainer! Yeah, yeah. Parkour, parkour! Parkour, parkour! I'm right Woo! behind you, Andy! Come on! Do it! Yeah! <laughs> parkour. <laughs> he goes right through the cardboard box. <laughs> Jumps off the, the dumpster or whatever. So that's The Office, but I, I, I think we're going to see a, a much more skillful demonstration of the art of parkour from Pip Anderson in uh, Star Wars Episode Seven. So I'm pretty pumped up for that. And like I said, I, I went through some immediate schooling on the art of parkour and uh, watched all of Pip's stuff. And then I, I had to watch Parkour Fails, which, uh, wow. Uh, boy, oh boy, uh, that is some messy stuff when uh, parkour goes Ooh. south. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, so uh, that's all. You know, it's, it's all on YouTube. Just put punch in Pip Anderson just to see the skill that this guy's going to be bringing to Star Wars Episode Seven, And uh, it's, it's so cool to uh, hear that he showed up at one of those open casting calls 
And, uh, you know, true, the guy is he's bringing immense talent and acting chops, we assume, uh, uh, to Star Wars Episode Seven. But it, it's so great that he actually had the initiative to go out there and, you know, basically buy a lottery ticket. And uh, sure enough, they uh, spotted him and Crystal Clark and another one. Uh, she uh, is, is uh, very... Uh, She's got a very uh, cool look to her, and it's going to be really interesting to see what these two new young actors are going to bring to the Star Wars universe. Because it's always exciting to think back to a time when you were first starting to hear about the casting of people like, I said, Ray Park. And you speculate, how is he going to fit in? What's his character going to be like? So it's so fun to look back at those old days, you know, having those actors establishing characters that have endured now for so much time. Now it's kind of funny to be reliving all that stuff as we learn about these new casting announcements and trying to figure out where they're going to fit into the Star Wars universe when you just know, you know, two years from now, uh, it's all going to be academic at that point. Uh, we're going to know these characters and these actors very well. So it's a, a really exciting time as these casting announcements keep spilling out of Lucasfilm about you know who's going to be starring in Star Wars Episode Seven. Well, it was exciting to get the, the announcement. And also for this little tidbit, there was a quote from Kathleen Kennedy um, who talks about how, you know, clearly Star Wars has a history of discovering and nurturing young talent. And, uh, you know, from, you know, unknowns, relative unknowns like Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher for all that uh, ended up, you know, obviously taking the world by storm. Harrison Ford, relatively unknown even at the time. Uh, So you look at Jake Lloyd, you look at Hayden Christensen, um, Natalie Portman was starting to her star was starting to rise, but she hadn't really kind of hit that critical mass. Uh, Liam Neeson was probably the most bona fide star. Even Ewan McGregor really hadn't quite um, become the household name that he is today as, when we started hearing these rumblings about the main cast in, in episode one. But, Jim, the one thing, the one thing that I kind of caught my eye on this story was it says that, um, meanwhile, principal photography continues in, at Pinewood Studios in London after wrapping on location in Abu Dhabi in May. So that I, I don't have a date on this story, but I know that this story was last week when there were rumors of uh, the Episode 7 set being shut down, that Harrison Ford's uh, career, potentially career-ending injury, had uh, you know significantly challenged the crew. And here we read, hey, they're still casting, and principal photography continues at Pinewood Studios. Yeah, absolutely. It has been. Uh, but there's an addendum. There is an addendum to the press release announcing Crystal Clark and Pip Anderson. Star Wars Ankle Gate 2014. I got a bad feeling about this. Indeed, there is. So the press release did address Harrison Ford's injury. And said, in August, the team, the creative team, will take a brief two-week hiatus while adjustments to the current production schedule are made as actor Harrison Ford recovers from a leg injury. And here's the line. Harrison is doing well and is looking forward to returning to the set soon. Shooting remains on track to wrap in the fall with a film scheduled for release on December 18th, 2015. So there you have it. That's, uh, you know, something we've been anticipating 
and understood that that would come into play at some point. When it became more clear about the extent of Harrison Ford's injury, um, that obviously made things probably a little more optimistic on the side of meeting that December 2015 release date. Now, we'd heard rumors that J.J. and Kathleen had gone to Bob Iger and Disney and pleaded for a later release date, perhaps a May 4th, 2016 release date. But we know that Disney is not going to budge on that. We also know that the extent of Harrison Ford's leg injury or ankle injury is not as severe as maybe we were led to believe when there were reports saying that his entire leg was crushed and that he had to be flown back to the States for six months of rehab. None of that is true either. However, the fact of the matter remains that the key star of this film has been knocked out of commission for a bit of time. The production schedule was able to compensate up to a point. Now it's become obvious that they do need to take a couple weeks off. And the reason I think they need a few weeks off is just simply set preparation and rescheduling of actors time on stage, on soundstage, um, making sure the actors are there, um, perhaps resolving any conflicts they might have with rescheduling certain scenes. So that's going to take a couple weeks of buffer time to sort of get all that together. But all in all, very positive reports coming out of uh, London regarding what we feared could be a potentially devastating setback for the production of episode seven. It appears everything's going on course. A two week break is nothing uh, catastrophic at this point. And uh, I think that, uh, like I said, I think that primarily needs to be in place so they can get some certain sets completed on time and to ensure the arrival of certain actors in this newly revised shooting schedule. And then Harrison will be fine in in a matter of time and be able to come back and take the spotlight as Han Solo as he's meant to take in Star Wars Episode Seven. So all in all, very positive news. I don't know. I think the reason for the two-week hiatus is they saw some of those old home movies of what the ILM crew was doing back in the 70s during the making of uh, the original Star Wars saga. They were all uh, uh, smoking weed and drinking booze and doing the slip and slide back there behind that makeshift <laughs> all right allegedly allegedly i saw the come on i saw the home movie and it was the 70s uh i think they're i think they're doing all that stuff in my home movies in the 70s but they're like hey let's take a couple of weeks off and uh party like uh you know we're ilm in the 70s no i think you're right jim i think clearly the two weeks is about a reshuffling um i mean just the, the, the i thinking of the amount of physical um materials and sets as you say and things that actually need to be uh, uh switched about in order to uh, make these changes that they need to make uh clearly they're going to need some some downtime but i don't think that they've really been affected by the downtime yet we had the report of kevin smith on set we'll actually have some more from kevin smith later here in the program but um i think it was uh, up until maybe just recently uh, still a very active set now just how injured is harrison ford that's the question um uk's the mirror uh has a story here from actually they're 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 quoting harrison's personal trainer 
who uh, is uh, his name is Jake Steinfeld, not Ed. not Jerry Seinfeld, Jake Steinfeld. Do you remember Jake Steinfeld? He used to have um, oh, Body by Jake, Body by Jake. That's Jake Steinfeld. So he actually uh, told TMZ, and the mayor picked it up in the UK. But he actually told TMZ that Harrison is quote. He's getting in shape now, he's feeling great, and he's rehabbing it. He and I have been friends for a long time, over 30 years, and he's in great shape. He's going to get back even better than he was, and I've been monitoring it with him. He's feeling great and is in great spirits. Uh, Jake says that uh, the injury itself is not that bad. He's coming back, and he's going to be better than ever. He's 70 going on 27. And then Jake said the word great about 20 more times. And <laughs> they sent him on his way. But yeah, actually, you know, so that's a body by Jake. That yeah, old- I haven't seen so- him in a long time. He's got that uh, that iconic kind of Brooklyn accent. He's uh, I don't know if it's Brooklyn, but he's got that New York accent thing going on. Jake Steinfeld. Boy, I haven't thought of him in a long time. I think he had one of those ab machines for a while. Oh, yeah. Pitching on TV. Yeah, very yeah, a lot of merchandise for Jake. Yeah. Uh, so now he's you know trainer to the stars, and uh, he's working with Harrison Ford, and so he's given us a very positive report about Harrison's injury and uh, the uh, recovery time needed. So uh, we're, I'm pretty excited just to even hear that, even though you know body by Jake, the guy's just probably blowing a bunch of smoke, but still. I mean, you know, you you don't want to go on the record saying all these things about one of the most famous actors in the world without it having some legitimacy and some grounding in the truth. Are you need to you need to help me out with this because I'm Harrison Ford and Jake Steinfeld like being buddies. Like, how did this go down? See, this is what this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, uh, and I need you to 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 Jim. This is improv, okay? I need you to channel your Harrison. I need you to think, Harrison. It's about two a.m. He can't sleep. He's tried. He's tried the warm milk. It's not working. And he flips on the TV. He's flipping around and he sees an infomercial with Jake Steinfeld for that ab roller. Yeah. Well, um, let me just see here. I turn the TV on. I can't sleep. Let's see here. No, CNN, no. Uh, Guns of Navarone, come on. Um, (laughs) Oh, here we go. Uh, uh, I'll just start working out with this guy. Yeah, so uh, so does does he pick up the phone and they think that he's calling to buy the ab roller, but really he's calling to buy Jake. That's what he, no, I want the guy. I want, <laughs> I don't want the ab machine. I want the dude. So you're Harrison Ford. You could do that, right? He calls the number. It's like you know, operators are standing by. One eight hundred. Hello. Yes. Uh, we uh, we can we have your credit card number? Put Jake on. <laughs> Jake's not actually here, sir. Uh, <laughs> Jake. <laughs> Jake will pull your arms out of the socket if he loses. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? Oh. Sir, it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Can we call for some help for you, sir? Uh. So, um, but I mean, yeah, um, I don't know where that, if that improv actually went in the direction you wanted to it go. It totally did. It totally did. <laughs> I, I just, uh, you know, he's there in his slippers and his bathrobe and yeah, he can't sleep. 
But it's not improv when people start spotting Harrison Ford at Whole Foods. What's this? What's going on with this? Yeah, so like Harrison, you know, um, last time we talked about his injury, uh, he was exiting a restaurant in London and, uh, you know, surrounded with friends and moving. A posh restaurant, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and, and refusing help from anyone. And now he's been seen at Whole Foods of all places. And uh, he stopped in there to uh, have a sandwich and uh, he was uh, spotted by uh, London uh, media in um, – this is according to the London publication The Independent. And they caught Harrison Ford as he was eating a sandwich at Whole Foods. So, I mean, really, that's the last place you want to go if, if you're just suffering from a devastating injury is Whole Foods. People right. just don't spot you at the supermarket eating a sandwich when you are uh, completely – Enable to uh, perform or act. So you know what? I think we're going to be getting Harrison back in front of the cameras before the month of August is over. Whether or not that gets confirmed by Lucasfilm or anyone within the Star Wars Episode Seven camp, or if it gets leaked or what have you, but I really think Harrison will be back before September. I think you're right. Um, all this uh, this article does mention that uh, he was still sporting that peg leg. Gem, as you called it, which, which is the below-the-knee leg crutch. Below-the-knee leg crutch. Um, but I, I think it's much better to call it a peg leg for that old pirate. That's what I think. <laughs> He's an arg. Right? <laughs> He's hopping around into Whole Foods, so nothing's going to slow Harrison Ford down. No. Come on. No, but by the way, from like five-star posh restaurant to tucking into a sandwich at Whole Foods, He's really he's 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 spanning all all <laughs> levels there in, uh, yeah, in he's, London. He's covering the gamut. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, um, th- this is interesting. So this completely got past me. I didn't see this until I looked at the show notes here before we started the program. That uh, Jim, there are some additional of uh, uh, set photos. Is that what we're looking at here? Well, we think so. This is, uh, again, unconfirmed, but it it comes pretty close. Um, As the UK Daily Mail is reporting that um, there is Star Wars Episode Seven filming going on in the Forest of Dean, which is in the uh, Gloucestershire area of the UK, and um, hundreds of... Gleaming white trailers have descended upon a forest wooded area, a rural spot out there, uh, right outside Gloucestershire, 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 hello, Gloucester, (laughs) Gloucestershire. All right. You know, our UK friends, please cut me some slack because it certainly does not look like it says Gloucestershire. It says Gloucestershire Shire. But um, I put that on my burger sometimes. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's just delicious. But um, yeah, so please excuse us for being thick Americans. But um, Gloucestershire. And uh, so this is a forest that's been often used uh, for TV and film shooting locations. Um, the, the thing that's really tipping everyone off is the fact that uh, there are some uh, buses and trailers which have a sign on them which say AVCO, A-V-C-O. And that has been uh, revealed uh, via various sources as the shooting title or production name 
for Star Wars Episode Seven. It's kind of like a Blue Harvest sort of thing. Avco, uh-huh. Avco, Avco. I've been I've been racking my brain trying to think of what that could possibly stand for, Avco. But that is what presumably is the shooting name for Star Wars Episode Seven. So people have been spotting that sign in various trailers, what have you. But the main thing that really jumps out to me, and this is uh, photos that were obtained by the Daily Mail, uh, featuring what appears to be an actor or an extra who's walking along a trail in, you know, leading presumably to the shooting location in the forest. He's dressed in a black robe, which I don't assume is wardrobe at all. I just assume it's a, a robe with a hood. But as you look closer, you see he is clearly wearing white boots with black soles, which instantly make you think of stormtrooper boots. Also, it is very apparent that he's wearing the traditional black body glove that troopers wear underneath their armor. Anyone in the 501st would be very familiar with that piece of wardrobe. So it, it certainly does look like this guy is marching to the set to don his stormtrooper armor and be a part of Star Wars Episode Seven as it's being shot in a forest environment. So that's very exciting. Very exciting. I mean, could we possibly be seeing a return to Endor? I don't know. I don't think so. Personally, I don't think so. Even though I did speculate at one point that the Emperor himself would be reborn in the forest of Endor, seeing that that was the place where the Death Star 2 was destroyed and maybe his spirit descended upon the forest. And oh, how very search for Spock. Yeah, I know, I know. But he would be reborn and he would emerge from the forest and give some Ewoks a shock of Sith lightning. (laughs) Well, you know, just for laughs. I mean, everyone would love that. And then the the shuttle would land and he would just board it and uh, take off and and go. Why am I picturing the ghost from SpongeBob? What's that guy's name? Oh, um, the pirate ghost? Yeah, the pi- when you said, you know, going around shocking people, that's what I'm picturing. <laughs> like the, the, the ghost of the emperor going around and torturing poor Ewoks. Just, yeah, toast a couple Ewoks and then get the hell out of there. But yeah. that would, you know, that would be interesting. That's obviously pure speculation. I don't personally think that any of the plot of Star Wars Episode Seven would go in that direction. But, yeah, you never know. So um, it's pretty exciting, though, because I, I fully believe that the shot they have of this actor walking in the robe is this man is approaching the shooting set to don stormtrooper armor and be involved in an action sequence in the forest. Uh, that's really all we can sort of figure out from these photos. But, uh, you know, a lot of fans got tipped off to this and uh, they cruised out to uh, that uh, area in a, a place called Puzzlewood. And uh, that's uh, in this uh, Forest of Dean. And it's a, I think it's a popular tourist location and it's been used to shoot scenes for Doctor Who and Merlin and other uh, other uh, TV shows and films. So yeah, I mean these could actually be uh, you know set shots, uh, more like behind the scenes shots. I mean I don't think we're really seeing any sets here, unless you count some trees in the distance. But you're definitely seeing a, a convoy, a, a fleet of 
of RVs and trailers, uh, you know, uh, typical for a large film production to be shooting on location, to be surrounded by this kind of uh, uh, trailer uh, city. And um, they they put up some blue screens here around some trailers and uh, semis as well. I I don't know what they're trying to block. Yeah, it sounds like they were trying to block the view because once the word started to spread, uh, obviously it it attract like moths to a flame. It attracted a lot of fans to that area, and um, you know they they wanted to make sure that nobody could see anything. But we did get this this glimpse of the actor, and Jim, I think you're absolutely right. Those those are unmistakable boots and that Under Armour. I've worn it. Uh, and uh but it you know this is what it's all about i mean this is the exciting stuff when you know there's a new star wars movie being filmed and you get these little these little tidbits and these little leaks here and there and it just it it makes it makes it fun it makes it fun it's like solving a mystery in a way yeah absolutely so really looking forward to seeing what kind of action goes on as star wars returns to the forest not the Redwoods this time, but the Forest of Dean, right outside. In Gloucestershire. 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 Um, I, I wonder if Kevin Smith had this kind of trouble pronouncing uh, all of this when he was on the set of Episode 7. We talked about this a couple of uh, uh, shows ago. Kevin Smith was invited to the set by J.J. Abrams, and he tweeted that now famous photo of his... What did he call it? His snotty nose and his tears. Uh, he said that he uh, got choked up several times while on the set of Star Wars 7. But he actually spoke about this on his podcast, Hollywood Babylon. And he, you know, he was able to tell a little bit more about his uh, trip to the Episode 7 set. I got an email, like this is going back a month ago, an email uh, from a dude who was like, Hey, Kev, we haven't talked in a while, but I've been thinking about you. Um, uh, we just started uh, shooting in the desert, man. Uh, we're heading over to London. If you're going to be in London, uh, blow me up and roll up on the set, man. Signed, J.J. Abrams. So I hit him back and I was like, I am going to be in England. I'm coming over to do some shows with my friend Ralph and blah, blah, blah. So he was like, oh, my God, great. Then you got to come stop by the set. And I was just like, wow, this is like how how easy was this i didn't have to ask he hit me up out of nowhere and, and i'm sitting there going like i don't know him that well like it's not like if you had called me up you're like hey kev i'm directing star wars this week come over <laughs> right sure because <laughs> that could happen that would make sense but like jj i know a little bit but not insanely well so i started second guessing it and i was just like you know what i gotta see if this is legit so i wrote him back an email and i was like uh, i just checked in with your office so i'm all set to visit but just just in case um, I want to put this out there in, in case maybe you hit the wrong Kevin in your address book. <laughs> I said, this is Kevin Smith, the clerk's guy. And he wrote back, perfect email, two-letter response, just wrote, oh, f-. <laughs> <laughs> so That was uh, Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman on Hollywood Babylon. And, of course, you, if you want to hear any Hollywood Babylon, just go to smodcast.com. But it doesn't stop there. Kevin did talk more about it in a live show recorded in London as Hollywood Babylon was on the road. And so he talked about it. But unfortunately, there was a flaw with that particular recording of Hollywood Babylon. So it is yet to be released. They will be releasing it at some point very soon. 
So you can hear Kevin on his own show talking about his visit to the Star Wars Episode Seven set. And there are Rebel Force Radio listeners who live out there in the UK who went to that show, and they sent me all kind of cool emails about what Kevin had to say. But unfortunately, I don't have the audio right now, audio highlights to play for you guys because they've yet to release that show. But it doesn't stop there because Kevin was also out in Switzerland following his trip to London. And he was giving a a talk at the Fantastic Film Festival to a very exclusive limited audience. And he revealed what it was like visiting the set of Star Wars Episode Seven, And Jason, much like he was when we saw him at Star Wars Celebration 6, where he was, as you said, I mean, it was the, the greatest way that you summed up the evening with Kevin Smith at Star Wars Celebration was the man came on stage and was bleeding Star Wars. And once again, you hear that passion coming from Kevin Smith as he addresses this audience at the Fantastic Film Festival in Switzerland. So he starts off talking about where his, his head was as a film goer and a Star Wars fan as he saw the Star Wars prequels and how he evolves from that experience into the guy who visited the Star Wars Episode Seven set as a professional, but then found himself getting lost in his Star Wars fandom passion as he visited a very iconic set before the day was over. So here it is, Kevin Smith in Switzerland addressing the fantastic film festival about his experience on the set of Star Wars Episode Seven. When the Episode One, Two, and Three came out, I saw those in the theater first day. So one of them I saw early and whatnot. And I enjoyed them, but I said many times, like, I went into that movie completely different. When I was a kid, I loved the Star Wars movies. They were my religion you know but when i was an adult i didn't expect to enjoy episode one two and three the same way they were their kids movies and i was no longer a kid so i can appreciate them for being well made and continuations of stories that i loved as a kid but it was never going to hit me the same way that star wars did and that's something i said repeatedly and absolutely believed and i still believe that to this day so when people like how could you like episode one two and three i was like i can i can appreciate it even though jar jar's in it i could still appreciate it man like i sat next to a kid watching that movie and that kid love Jar Jar. So I can't sit there and be like, Jar Jar should die. You know, it's like that character worked for who he was intended for. But when I went to the set, something else happened. It's magical. Get into the, to the um, uh, Lucasfilm office where you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which says you're not going to say what you saw. So I can't tell you exactly what I saw. We'll work around it. Um, sign that. There's a poster hanging on the wall right there. And it shows an Imperial Starship commander in uniform going like this. And it says, loose lips sink starships. So they want you to not talk about what you see. And I said, this is awesome. And his assistant Morgan goes, JJ hung that up for you. (laughs) So I was like, I got it, I got it. So we go to the set, and they're actually shooting. And they're shooting, and, and this is what I can't tell you what they were shooting, but what I saw I absolutely loved. And it was tactile. It was real. It wasn't a series of green screens and blue screens in which later on digital characters would be added. It was there. It was happening. I saw old friends that I haven't seen since my childhood who aren't really friends, but I love them more than some of my 
relatives. Um, I saw uh, uniforms. I saw artillery that I haven't seen since I was a kid. I saw them shooting an actual a sequence in a set that is real. Like you, I walked across the set. There were explosions. It was every, and it looked like a shot right out of a Star Wars movie, man. I watched him do it like four times, standing there next to JJ. I was like, man, good for you. You're doing it. And I was still clinical at this point. It was still filmmaker Kevin Smith going, this is smart. You've got everything everybody loves in the movie, so it connects right back to our childhood. You're doing it justice, man. You're avoiding any mistakes. Like, you're doing a great job. This is, this is a Star Wars movie everyone's going to see. Oh, blah, blah, blah. But it's still clinical. It's not here yet. It's working its way here, but it's still here on the level of like, this is a very smart decision. This is going to work better than the last ones. And then JJ says to Morgan, his assistant, he goes, take Kevin to stage M. And I said, oh, I know it's on stage M because I've seen online. That's the only reason I could talk about the Millennium Falcons because people put up pictures online, said the Millennium Falcons being built. So it's been out there. So they took me to stage M. There's a guy who opened the door for us, and, and um, she was like, can you turn on the lights? And he was like, right on, hold on. And he turns the lights on, and there's the Millennium Falcon from my childhood. Now, it's the, sh- the outside looks like a movie set, but inside, fully replicated, fully built. The guy told me they took two blueprints, Star Wars and Empire, because the cockpit in Empire, never knew this before, cockpit in Empire was bigger than the cockpit in Star Wars. So they went somewhere between the two. So he takes me over, and I'm just looking at it. You could look at it from the outside, and you could still see inside, and I don't presume we're going aboard or anything. And then Morgan says, you ready to go up? I said, we can go on it? And she said, yeah. And I said, right on. And I'm still clinical at this point. I'm still like, I'm going to step on the Millennium Falcon set. And I did. I stepped on the Millennium Falcon set, and my foot went on the landing ramp, and 10 years dropped off my life. Suddenly, all that Jersey girl, cop out, red state, gone took another f-ing step, another 10 years drop off my life. Now I'm in clerk's country. I take another step, I'm a f-ing 18 year old again. I take another step, 12. Take another step, I'm f-ing nine years old when Empire Strikes Back comes out and I'm only halfway up the bridge. And then when I get to my f-ing last step, man, seven, I'm seven years old standing on the ramp of the Millennium Falcon and all the shit that I thought about myself and know about myself to be true and everything that I, I project as Kevin Smith was f-ing gone and I just started crying. So as I walked up that ramp, I realized something was missing from those other movies and it's now in these movies and it's not the obvious of like, hey, the Millennium Falcon or hey, the characters that we know that are returning. It's, it's something else entirely. He's building a tactile world, a world you can touch and he's replicating it with all the love of somebody that has the world's greatest collection of Star Wars figures. So anybody who's sitting there wondering like, oh, I wonder if he's going to pull it off, he's pulling it off. He showed me cut scenes, showed me sequences, images, pictures. Like, I cried. Dude, I cried and I hugged that guy. And I'm sure as I was crying on him and hugging him, he's like, time is money, you know, because they're making a movie. But he got it. He was, he was very flattered. And I was like, honestly, dude, like, you're doing it. You're making my childhood again. Like, you're doing Star Wars, our Star Wars. So what I saw blew me away. I was up until then, like the movie I couldn't wait to see, of course, Superman, Batman versus Superman. Number one, I love Batman. Number two, I know the guy playing Batman this time. And, you know, Fat Man. Um, but that just took second place. Suddenly, like the guy who was like, yeah, Star Wars, I liked that as a kid. That dude now, 
is this dude who's like Star Wars still means the world to me. I don't know why, you know, it shouldn't. I've, I've seen behind the curtain. I know how movies are made. But yet that mythology like called out to me. It was like being a lapsed Catholic walking into the, into the Sistine Chapel and suddenly remembering everything from your childhood, all those prayers, all those songs and shit like that. But in a good way. I don't like church, but I love Star Wars. So, so yeah, I, if, if he captures just a 10% of the feeling that I had by putting my foot on the deck of the ship, now we all ain't going to get the chance to do that, put our, you know, walk on the Millennium Falcon. But if he captures just 10% of what I felt, they're going to make a gazillion dollars. It'll be the top grossing film of all time because it's old home. It's, it's seeing everybody you want to see again in a brand new adventure moving forward. I, I, I can't wait. Isn't that great? I mean, uh, really, just uh, speaking from his heart and finding his heart as he explored the set of the Millennium Falcon. What I find most interesting is that he walked up the ramp. Where did the ramp lead? Are we talking about an interior set of the Falcon that's actually part of the physical exterior? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's what Is I'm that thinking. what we're talking about? Maybe they remove panels from the side to shoot. He's talking it's, about the ramp. He's talking about the ramp. The I ramp. Mean, he wouldn't just walk up the ramp if it no. didn't lead somewhere. He would say, you know, he would say a ramp. He's the, the ramp. It's the ramp. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, it's really uh, incredible to hear such a passionate and informative inside report from the set of Star Wars Episode Seven. And as you hear Kevin is saying, this, I mean, his, his set visit was last week. Yeah. And he said when he arrived, they were shooting scenes. Yes. So obviously no smoke screen here. No cover-ups going on. No conspiracy is happening. The Star Wars Episode Seven production has been moving forward. Regardless of the fact that Harrison Ford suffered a leg injury, things have been progressing. And work is being done on this film, both on the physical sets and back at ILM or any other special effects boutiques that might be working on this film. Work has been constant and around the clock and hasn't stopped for anything. Shooting is going to be suspended, as we reported, for a couple weeks, but that does not mean the production stops. And uh, it certainly sounds like Kevin Smith was visiting a very vibrant and very active set. And so exciting to hear. And also exciting to hear his account of JJ's enthusiasm for this project and the loving care that's going into it on his end. Yeah, for sure. It's, that is probably, I think, the most detail that we've heard, I think, of, uh, be it a press release, officially released from Lucasfilm, whatever. That is the most detail insider scoop I think uh, we've received about Star Wars Episode Seven so far. That Hearing Kevin Smith say that did more for me than the leaked photos from the set. Because there's substance behind his report. There is heart and passion behind his report. Yeah, it's not some tabloid that's just no. running some, some photos. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and um, he's the type of guy who has a reputation of being almost too truthful with what he feels right. and what he observes. So you know it's coming from a legitimate source. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just incredible, incredible. So, and I love that you know he said, "Hey, I'm going to say Millennium Falcon because it's out there." 
You know, there's, you know, there's that can't be held by an NDA. It's already out there. So, um, and I, and I, what I really appreciate is, and as he said, you know, I can't talk specifics, but I'll work around it. He knows that we want to hear it. We yeah. want to hear it. And, uh, I think, uh, it's just, it's, it's exactly what I'd hope to hear a Kevin Smith say about Star Wars Episode Seven, And I really love the perspective that he lends between, you know, the Kevin that saw the original films, the Kevin that saw the prequels, and then the Kevin that, that, that's standing there on the, on the ramp of the Millennium Falcon. I mean, you know, and as he was describing it, you know, he is, he is quite honestly one of the best storytellers, I think, alive and i'm not i don't mean as a filmmaker i just mean the guy can take a microphone and stand up in front of a crowd and tell one story for an hour and a half and you're captivated you're 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 that is a very very rare talent and as he was telling that story and he's talking about the the decades dropping from him he says i finally get to the top and i'm seven years old again Jim, in that moment, and you know, we've seen some pretty awesome things doing in the, on this ride as uh, as Star Wars podcasters, and uh, you know, it's part of you goes numb to some of it, but I think in that moment, I I I was right there with Kevin. I would have bawled like a baby myself. Yeah, you know, as you say, in our experience as podcasters, we've been at this for almost eight years now, and there have been moments which I have christened in the past as these fountain of youth moments where you find yourself instantly regressed to that kid who is bright eyed sitting in that movie theater in the seventies and eighties. And, and then, you know, now for the, the new generation of fans who are adults who saw the prequels as kids, they were also bright eyed and, and, you know, you can make a huge impression on them. I mean, it's the, the star Wars tradition continues. And I think, most people listening to this show can relate with Kevin Smith, whether they grew up on the original trilogy or the prequel trilogy or, for crying out loud, the expanded universe. There's something that you sometimes connect with when you are going through a Star Wars experience, whether it be watching the films, going to a convention, or just simply having a conversation. Or, if you're lucky like Kevin Smith, being able to visit the set, there are these moments that are fountain of youth moments that take you back to that bright eyed wonder of youth and star Wars provides that for me. And in essence, by tapping into that, you're keeping yourself forever young. And Kevin rediscovered that when he visited Pinewood last week. And it's so great to hear that firsthand account of someone experiencing that, that feeling that we occasionally get as we experience Star Wars. And it takes us back to the the, the days of, of childhood when you you're you're just so impressionable and 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 your imagination runs wild. We still all have that as adults. We still have it. And that's why we keep coming back to Star Wars is so we can rekindle that emotion. And sometimes it's not easy, especially if you're an industry professional like Kevin Smith who knows how the sausage gets made. You know, it's, it's sometimes hard to, to give away to your, your, you know, what you know. It's hard to suspend belief when you are that connected to the industry. But Kevin found it visiting the set of Star Wars Episode Seven, and now he's salivating for the film, just like we are as fans. It's so cool to hear that. Yeah, yeah, it displaced Batman for him, 
And he, as he said, he knows the guy playing Batman. So that that is that is awesome. Hey, before we get into our uh, interview with Stephen Stanton, who's coming up next, I do want to take a moment and thank uh, our sponsor, one of our sponsors for this week's show, Dorkside Toys. If you haven't been to Dorkside, uh, you haven't been shopping for Star Wars toys. We want you to do that. So here's how you do it. You go to shotglassdigital.com, click through the Dorkside banners, and just like hyperspace, you get taken right to their storefront. And here's what you'll find. You'll find the new mission series in hand. They got Luke, Vader, Yoda, Palpatine, Grievous, Obi-Wan. They also have the 6-inch Black Series Wave 5 figures. Those are available for pre-order along with Wave 5 of the 3 and 3 quarter inch uh, Black Series. Hey, are you a loose collector like Jimmy Mack? Uh, then you need to help me because I'm really struggling. I got a bunch of new action figures that I desperately want to take out of the package and I'm really... I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Why, why? I know. I know. I know. That, you know, that's something that when you come and you visit us here in the Palatial Rebel Force Radio Studios in, uh, in, in North Canton, Ohio, you can help me. I, I'll, turn my, I'll turn my back. Maybe I should just give them to my, my two-year-old because my two-year-old will get those things open lickety-split. Maybe that's what I got to do. Now you're talking. Just throw oh. a pile of action figures at Parker and, uh, and he'll make it. No, I, I really do. I want to display these and I want to get – I'll tell you what I'm waiting for. I'm going to get little – you know, the little discs that you put the feet in, you know, the little pegs, oh, little my stands. <laughs> I, I need a bunch of those. You know, I, I think it kind of irritates Wendy because late at night I'll be uh, maybe a, a occasionally working on the display of action figures. And I, I literally have like 3,000 action figures on display. I, I've not done a head count in a decade. But, uh, you know, when you, you have those little plastic discs, which you can buy at you know, various places online, action figure stands are commonly known as, and they have the peg. You can put the figure on it, and it stands. But I'll drop those things, and they hit the hardwood floor. <laughs> and the noise they make at, say, 1 in the morning, oh. it's, I mean, it's so loud. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've... Uh, and, of course, they have to spin first, right? Like <laughs> dropping a silver dollar on the, yes. on the floor. Yeah, yes. And then they whizz, 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 and then clunk. Yeah, so I need to get those. I think once I get those and I'm, and I'm able to actually display, but I, anyway, if you're a loose collector and you want to save on postage, they've got loose figures and carded uh, figures giving you all kinds of options. So it doesn't matter what type of collector you are. Dorkside Toys can help. Uh, Saga Legends, the Jumbo Vintage Retro figures, those are available also. So shop Star Wars at uh, Dorkside Toys and grab yourself the brand new unreleased six inch figures starting at fourteen ninety nine and the three and three quarter inches starting at two ninety nine. Those are like those are like nineteen eighties prices. Come on. You gotta check those out. And once again, shotglassdigital.com, click on the Dorkside banner and away you go. And we thank Dorkside Toys for their support of us here at Rebel Force Radio. We love Dorkside. All right, we're going to catch up with an old friend of the show here at Rebel Force Radio, Stephen Stanton, in the cantina. So saddle up to the bar and pour yourself a cool one. We're going to talk to Stephen. Where are you going, Master? For a drink. Sorry about the mess. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hey, holy cow. Communications disruption can only mean one thing. <laughs> can you hear me now? Hello. Hello. Hey, holy Communications cow. disruption can only mean one thing. Can you hear me now? Yeah. It's good. It, yeah. That's getting okay. better. It's 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 got, you know, it has to go through all of its little uh, Skyperisms. 
Right. It goes through satellites and all sorts of things from, you know, bouncing into space and off of Imperial and cruisers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and then it, it slowly but surely starts to settle into a, you know, barely listenable connection. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> we love Skype. We love Skype. We're going to plug in a, a, mic, a real mic yeah, here. Like a USB yeah. mic? That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I've That'd got one nice. of those here. No, we we'll have do. everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> someday, someday, Jim, we'll have the budget and we'll send all of our guests mics. Yeah. yeah. The official uh, Rebel Force Radio mic. Right. Let me uh, plug this in and we're mm-hmm. going to do this. Was this the first time you ever done this stuff before? How does this sound? Is this sound? Uh, yeah, it sounds great. Before we start, Jason. Uh-oh. 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 It's good to talk to you, man. It's nice to talk to you also. You never write, but I did get your tweet about the French fry holder. I'm in. I'm in, man. If they do an onion ring one, I'm even more in. Who are these people that need this? Who are these people? It, I'm over at Mickey D's running between sessions. That's what I grab. You know, I grab wherever I can find food. Mickey D's is one of the places to grab it. And, you, and you're quite and, svelte, so, I mean, you're keeping the poundage off. And Well, and plus, I do commercials for them, too, so, you know, i got to keep the love going Oh, on. you're loving it. Yeah, I'm loving so, it. Exactly. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't believe it. I had to go and shop for some uh, uh, car wash uh, accoutrements. And uh, I'm looking through, you know, looking at the different waxes and all this, and I see this right. thing. It's a, it's, it's a French fry holder. It goes into your cup holder, and it, it's, a, it's like an adapter that adapts your cup holder to, to hold a French fry carton. And I just, it offended, it offended me to no end. I've got two now. I went out and bought two. I went to Pet Boys, Manny Moe and Jack. And, uh, and, you know, and they had them actually, you know, they had them on sale. It was a two pack, you know. Well, and that's like, you know, the, the cup holders in your car now, they, they expand. Have you noticed? Because now you don't order a cup of, you know, of whatever you order, like a pail. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bucket to... of soda. And I drive have... a restored, you know, pickup truck from the 1980s. So I still have a sane size cup holder. But, you know, yes. if you buy something from Carl's Jr. or Hardee's, it won't fit in that cup holder. Right. Well, yeah. I, you're right. And, and now I am no, uh, I am no, uh, uh, you know, I'm not one of those guys that, that wants the government to go in and start regulating our soda sizes. That's oh, not, heck no. That's not my no. thing. But I, you know, just, you know, my God, if you need. You need that French fry holder, man. Oh, man. I, I, I will tell you a little bit of history. When I was a kid, when I was sacking groceries in the grocery store in the 1970s, they used to have the in glass bottles the 32-ounce sodas. And nobody in their right mind thought they were going to drink that at one sitting. That was like, that would be insane. It would be like, hey, drink this all at once. Yeah, you're crazy. What are you trying to do? Kill yourself? <laughs> and now, now that's a small yeah, right? exactly. And also, by the way, just want to mention, so we put up a, a tweet with the uh, artwork of uh, Rebel Force Radio with like the Tatooine background or whatever. Everybody loves this logo. I don't know who made it. Was you guys make it or a fan art or something? Yeah, or? that's just, uh, we have a, a few really talented guys that we can call upon to create artwork. And uh, that was done by a guy named Chris and uh, Chris Amarim. And he's, Good job. Uh, yeah, he does some really good stuff for us. Yeah, it was a big hit today. Everyone's commenting on it and stuff. So cool. Well, thank you for putting that out there. And uh, yes. So um, 
you know, I, boy, you, you, you drive a, a truck from, from the 80s. I, I just can't help. I, I have to ask, how's the landscaping service doing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ha ha. Yeah, I used to get that from everybody. It's, it's completely restored. It looks pristine. And uh, I, you know what? It's funny. I kind of did it for myself uh, just because I'm, I'm crazy. And I'm crazy, you know. And uh, now I can't even drive that thing out. But everyone honks. They stop. I have a conversation with people. Uh, you know, all the all the valet guys love it. All the uh, you know, when I go to a studio, they're all like, "Man, sweet truck." And you know, it's something I never expected a reaction to get. But you know, I've had that truck since 1989. I bought it right off the lot, brand new. And uh, it looks pristine. Now, in fact, it looks more than pristine because it redid the interior, took it apart piece by piece, you know, repainted the chassis, put a brand new, uh, uh, you know, it was like 25 grand to redo this thing. It was like four times more than I paid for it originally. And you, did you do all the work yourself, Stephen? No, no, no. I took it to a, a friend of ours who's uh, he's got a little tiny mechanics and a body and paint shop. He's really he's worked on everything from from construction vehicles to high end sports cars. So he knows everything. And he just absolutely loved it. He went to town on it and made it a showpiece. And I carry a stack of his, um, um, you know, his uh, his cards in my glove compartment. When people say who painted that for you, I'm like, well, it took six months to do. But here's the guy that did it. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. There's been pictures of it up on my Facebook page, but yeah. uh, we'll have to send you guys some pictures of it, though. Yeah, it looks I, need really to, I need to check it out. I, and it probably uh, offends a lot of those folks out there in California for you to have such a gas-guzzling... Uh, you know, it's, it's not a gas-guzzler because it's a, it's a Toyota. Oh! It's, it's, oh. It's never been a, it wasn't a big pickup truck, and, you know, and it's a very common truck. It was, in 1989, it was called the, the New Body Style. And, you know, all the gardeners had it and everything, just like you guys are saying, all the landscapers have got it. And now when I pull up into a parking lot and park it immediately, like almost every time I take it out, someone comes up to me and says, my gosh, your truck, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's clean. My dad had one. My grandfather had one. It shows me how old it is, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's great. I mean, when I had to have it uh, appraised um, for insurance, I took it to a, very, a, a guy that does classic car restoration here in Los Angeles. He's very well known. He came out to look at it. He goes, man, he goes, you are crazy. He goes, but I love it. You're just like me. He goes, I understand why you did this because I'm going to give you the best appraisal I can for this thing for your insurance company. Because Blue Book value is like, you know, 500 bucks. Right. Or <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And, of course, they will not take into account, you know, any of the work that you've done. It's, it's they very, did, though. They absolutely did. They? did. This guy All did I you a solid? Usually oh, they he, don't. Here's what he did. He appraised it for thirty thousand. I sent him pictures to the uh, my insurance company, and they immediately signed off on. It. I said, "We don't need to see any more. You're good. Wow. We're going to insure it for the full what amount." Ki- what kind of Svengali effect does this truck have on people? Everybody's <laughs> losing their minds I, at the sight I of this truck. Know. A guy stopped me. I was actually with my brother. Came out here to visit my brother, who's the sculptor that's done all these, you know, uh, Clone Wars sculptures for me. He's come out visiting me, and I was telling him about the truck. And while we're walking up to it on the sidewalk, there's a guy standing by the parking meter. He says, "Is this your truck?" I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Dude, did you know there's a Toyota museum in Torrance? You should totally take this down here because they would want to put this on display. It belongs in a museum." (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So yeah, and then my brother's like. I tell you, I love this truck, but he goes, I didn't believe it when you told me. Well, what's cool about it is that you've owned it since the beginning. I mean, that's, and you've been with it since 1989. There's been a lot of history 
Oh my gosh! Since then, my God, There's, it's it's a good friend. It's like an old shoe. It fits perfectly. And me and that thing have been, you know, up and down the coast and all over the country. And you know, it's uh, it's yeah, a lot of there's good times, bad times, the ups and downs of my career. That truck has seen me through it all. And I'll tell you, one of the funniest things that ever happened was, you know, when you could rock, when you drive into a studio. Now, most people know at the studios now when that truck pulls up, they know who it is. But back early in the early days when I just had it finished. I pulled up into a uh, into a studio in Hollywood, and the guy said, "Yeah, who are you delivering to?" Oh, and, uh, and I said, "No, my name's on the list, Stephen Stanton." He goes, "Yeah, hold on." He's like, you know, like it's totally blowing me off. As soon as he goes and he consults the list, he comes back with, "Mr. Stanton, the VIP lot is right over there." And I said, "And where would you like me to park?" Because anywhere you'd like, right in front of the building, if you want, that's fine. Oh my god. <laughs> Look at them being all judgmental like that. Exactly. Just because I drive a, uh, a 1989 Toyota pickup truck. Yeah. And one of the places that people congregate at the studios is In-N-Out Burger because it's right there next to Universal and uh, a bunch of other places where people record. And there is where I meet my good buddy, Dave Filoni. You've oh, heard yeah. of him, right? Yes. Yeah, that guy. You know Dave Filoni. Yeah, he wears the hat. Right. I presented him with because Dave is a big Godzilla fan. I don't know if you know this. Oh, he yeah. is a huge Godzilla kaiju. We've had discussions about Gamera and Godzilla and which is his favorite and all that kind of stuff. So um, I presented him with a bag that I had been saving since San Diego Comic-Con of last year uh, for Godzilla for the new one that came out, the Gareth Edwards film, because a friend of mine was the visual effects supervisor on it, Jim Rigel. He also did uh, these three other films you might have heard of. Lord of the Rings. You saw those? Heard of yeah. them? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They were small, small independent productions. That's but right. Jim, Jim did all the visual effects on those, and he got these, these, what do they call them, Oscars for them, I think, too. Yeah, couple. <laughs> but anyway, so I had Jim sign the bag, and Jim said, I'll take it to Gareth, and I'll have him sign the bag. And so we gave it. So he got, he got both of them to sign it, and then I took it to Dave and surprised him with it over at uh, In-N-Out Burger and uh, – Gave him a nice little uh, Godzilla present Aww. since he's such a huge kaiju Godzilla fan. Yeah, so it, was just, it was just a chance meeting with Filoni at In-N-Out Burger. And absolutely. you just happened to have the post. You just happened to I've been to carrying those things around in my truck for, for months now. Well, actually not months. It was weeks because Jim got them to me pretty darn quick. Because it was at the end of the film when he was doing his last week on post-production for Godzilla. And he's like, I got to go now and get Gareth because, you know, I don't know when I'm going to see him again next. Oh, that's oh, awesome. You know what? I didn't know the, the story behind those those pictures. I, I saw them on your Facebook page. Yeah. Was, oh, wow, that's great. You know, Stevens with Filoni, and that got me thinking, well, let's see here. Filoni's working on Star Wars Rebels. And, now, wait, wait, what's uh, wait, what is this? Star Wars what? And Steven Stanton's standing there with him. Why Why would those two be together? Um, but it was just a chance meeting at yeah, in burger I'm not sure this Star Wars Rebels thing. What is that exactly? I've heard of it. You guys talked about it. It's set in a period of time during Star Wars when um, an Imperial officer named Tarkin is definitely uh, taking control over his oh. slice of the empire. Yeah, and it's uh, it's going to be a new show coming on. Oh, it's this show show. this fall. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to tune into that. I think it's going to be good. Sounds like it anyway. From your description. <laughs> But so that's pretty funny. So that's that's the story <laughs> behind the pictures. Yes, it is. Dave is such a big Godzilla fan. And, you know, and he only collects Godzilla from 1974. That's his favorite era of Godzilla. And he's got, you know, he showed me pictures of his collection. He's got a lot of figures. Well, that's very specific. Oh, 1974, yeah, very specific. really. 
That's the Mecha Godzilla, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla film. Because I, I, uh, I, uh, I, I showed him that I had a laser disc of, of uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. He's like, "Oh yeah, I saw that on Facebook. You got that Mecha Godzilla laser disc." And then he immediately asked me where the break was on the laser disc. If you have laser disc, <laughs> you know you have to right. flip them over from one side to the other yeah, to play right. them. He was curious as to where they decided it was a good place to stop the movie. <laughs> I said, well, I wasn't sure, Dave. I was just kind of into it and watching it. <laughs> I'll have to get back to him on that because I'm sure he'll ask me again. Right. Very specific information. I, because, you know, he posts all that information up on the Godzilla forums, and uh, I'm, I'm sure he lurks around that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'll bet. I'll bet that's true. That's totally true. So, Stephen, it's so good to be able to catch up with you. Uh, you've obviously been very busy. The latest thing that is coming out of the Stephen Stanton voiceover empire is you're, <laughs> you, you are a star of Disney XD's The 7D, which is uh, a retelling, or, or I don't know if it's a retelling, but imagine Snow White and the Seven Dwarves without Snow White. This is the Seven Dwarves hanging out, doing what they do. And uh, all their wacky adventures. Yeah, and it's uh, it's actually pre-Snow White kind of a thing. And uh, one of the great things about it, you know, was we have a terrific cast. One of my fellow Clone Wars uh, compatriots, D. Baker, is on this. So I get to see D. D. And I get to see each other a lot nowadays. And uh, we've also got uh, Maurice Lamarche. Uh, uh, one of my favorites. Uh, Jess Harnell, uh, uh, Billy West, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, who was on the Clone Wars as well, Scott Menville, uh, Kelly Osborne, and uh, it's you know they've been calling us the Avengers of voiceover because it's just like this this incredible cast of voiceover actors. Usually, you know, I'll be like one or two of these people will work together, but to get you know such a large cast, I think the cast, the regular cast, is close to like eleven people. And uh, we just have a great time doing it. It's a lot of fun. It's it's for a younger audience, but the sensibility, uh, there's definitely an adult sensibility to it because our showrunner, the creative uh, uh, guy behind this is Tom Ruger, who is the guy that brought you Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And both Pinky and the Brain are part of the cast with uh, Maurice as Grumpy and Billy as Bashful. D. Bradley Baker, who was uh, the clones in The Clone Wars, he plays Dopey. So now right. we know. Now we know what the D in D. Bradley Baker stands for. <laughs> right, the seven D. <laughs> right. So you know, D does. A, he not only does he do dopey. You know, he is a master of sound effects and animal sounds. And anytime you hear an animal in this film or this show, rather, uh, it's D. And he literally the everything stops on the uh, on the uh, recording room floor when he does his stuff because you know as billy west likes to say he goes d baker has got some kind of an extra chamber in his skull or something that allows him to do these noises because they're just phenomenal yeah amazing amazing and you know it is an all-star cast kevin michael richardson as you mentioned he uh, he did some work on the clone wars as uh, as jabba is a man yeah. he was the voice of jabba with uh, the help of some uh, some digital processing going on afterwards, which you need to have to make the Jabba voice. But that was Kevin. And you know who really stands out to me in this show? And I'm, I'm shocked and surprised and, and really um, just amazed at what a good actress Kelly Osborne is. She really, her work is fantastic in this show. She's great. She, her character is spot on. She plays Hildy Gloom, 
and uh, she's got some of the best one-liners in the show. You know, I'm kind of like the amidst all these pros on this show, I'm kind of like the new kid on the block. But uh, you know, even I'm impressed with what Kelly's doing because this is her very first voiceover, like you know, series at all, and she fits right in with everybody else. It's great. Yeah, she she's fantastic on it, and uh, I know Jason is really excited about the show because he's a longtime lover of animation and i know that he's you know we were talking before we we got you on the line i mean i think his his jaw sort of went through the table as we were reviewing this all-star cast yeah it's amazing i haven't i haven't caught the show yet i'm definitely going to be doing that uh tom ruger and of course all of the the shows that he did for uh for warner brothers um from as you said tiny tunes animaniacs pinky and the brain i think he also was involved in freakazoid one of my favorite uh all-time animated series comedies uh very underrated uh also batman the animated series in my mind the gold standard of episodic animation i i just love all of that stuff so it is an all-star team and i'm glad to see that he's um you know found a home there at disney uh he was kind of uh MIA there for a while after um, after the the whole animation kind of uh, renaissance there at Warner Brothers sort of uh, faded away. So this is uh, this is fantastic. Yeah, and you know, and if you have any listeners that are in Los Angeles in, uh, in this area, we're all going to be appearing at the Hollywood Improv on April twenty second at, at eight o'clock for Rob Paulson's Talking Tune Show. Tom Ruger is going to be there, and all of the seven D and uh, are going to be there. So if you want to see us live in person doing our thing. Uh, it's April 22nd at the Improv in Hollywood in Los Angeles. That's fantastic. If you haven't listened to um, Rob Paulson's amazing podcast, Talking Tunes, uh, you've got to do this. It's it's basically like inside the actor studio, but it's it's Rob, who's a very very prolific uh, voiceover actor, um, was the voice of Pinky, uh, also Yakko on Yakko or Wacko, I can't remember on Animaniacs. Yakko. Yakko. Uh, and just and uh, the original Raphael in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, cartoon series. Anyway, just great, great, great talent. And uh, so he sits down with uh, one or, in this case, multiple uh, other voice actors, and they just talk about the craft. And it's fabulous. He's had Mark Hamill on several times. Uh, and it's, uh, it's always a great listen. So, and, and, of course, I would imagine, Stephen, that'll probably come out as a podcast at some point if we can't see it live. Yes, all of those shows uh, come out as a podcast. So if you can't see it in person, you will be able to hear it on uh, Rob's uh, website. Now, Stephen, you said you were sort of the new kid on the block. And I don't know that we've ever really asked you, when did this part of your career, the, the voiceover and working in animation, when did that start? You know, it's been kind of a slow transition because I did a lot of my original voiceover work in commercials and games and uh, trailers, things like that. And the animation was kind of piecemeal. And really, actually, I think I really got some of my start with Disney, uh, starting to do original characters for them. Because one of the voices that I do for Disney, one of the very first uh, voices I did for them, is for uh, the original Seven Dwarfs. I do the voice of Happy. Uh, and every any time they need the original Seven Dwarfs to do something like the uh, the new attraction that they opened up at Walt Disney World, the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train Ride, or we do Disney on Ice, or any of those things. So it's been, like I said, it's been kind of a piecemeal thing. Uh, Clone Wars was one of the times where I got on a series where they really just kind of let me go. And, um, and you know, um, you guys really took me over the top as far as exposure with the public and so on. Uh, because up to that point, 
a lot of the stuff that I did have been kind of like anonymous, you know, you know, guest shots on, on uh, animated series or like when you do commercials, you can do a thousand of them. Nobody ever knows who you are because there are no credits on commercials. Right. So Clone Wars is one of the places where I really got to like cut loose. And, you know, I think I kind of tallied it up recently over the six seasons. I think I did over like 25 different characters on the show total that includes season six and then there's other stuff that you guys never heard because we started doing you know i did this great four story arc in season six where i played the the leader of the pikes you know those guys oh yeah and uh, there was a great you know some great stuff in there but you know i don't know whatever whatever's going to happen to that if those are going to be retooled or recycled or just kind of like you know just kind of like left to the sidelines right now while uh, that other show you were talking about goes forward <laughs> you know, well, it may see the light of day someday, maybe even as just a comic book, but those are uh, going to be great stories to hear. Um, you know, uh, Stephen, recently uh, I-, I found myself compelled to watch the great Mieber Gaskin <laughs> episode. Uh, <laughs> what is it? A Tricky Day in the Void? Is, is it- a Sunny Day in the Void. Get the a, sorry, right a Sunny now. Day in the Void. Be demoted. <laughs> You know, because just recently Dan Brooks over at StarWars.com wrote a nice little blog about that particular episode as he was focusing on, to use his own words, the weirdness of Star Wars. And that is a weird episode. So I, I found myself compelled to watch it again. And man, oh man, you carry that episode probably more so than we've seen any singular actor do in the entire run of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Was that a yeah. challenge for you? I mean, yeah, obviously it must have been a challenge. Can you take us back into the recording booth and sort of, you know, give us uh, an idea of, of what that challenge presented to you? Yeah, because I, I remember that specifically because it was essentially, you've seen pictures of Studio F at uh, L.A. Studios where we did the Clone Wars. It's a big studio. Yeah. And when we would show up for those uh, sessions, it was myself and Ben Diskin. And that was it. You know, D. Baker came in and did his parts. Uh, but for especially for this episode, there was nobody else in it except for myself, Ben, and the sounds of the droids. And Dave actually prefaced the episode by saying, okay, guys, this one is all up to you. It either, either makes or breaks on what you guys doing because you're the only ones in it. And um, so, you know, it's it's as an actor, that's both exciting and terrifying because – one of the things in, in animation that you, you don't get to do that often is explore a character in detail as much as we got to do with Mieber Gascon in those four episodes. I mean, that was, uh, that was incredible that we were able to do that much dialogue. And, you know, George Lucas told Brent Friedman, the author of that episode, that that was his favorite episode out of the entire series. <laughs> You, you're kidding me. Well, no, you know what? Brent Friedman told me that, and I, you know, knowing George is sort of like he has, you know, his whole THX eleven thirty eight, and yes, and sort of similarity to this episode to that. I could see it was an R two sort of centric episode. It had this weird kind of, you know, George Lucas likes that sort of avant garde kind of filmmaking. He's always talked about doing those kinds of things, and. um you know, the, the arc split the Clone Wars audience 50-50 on, you know, whether they loved it or hated it, and, which is fine because I think when you're doing something that sort of um, different, when you're, doing, you're taking a chance and a risk like that, you're always going to have those kinds of reactions. So I don't mind that a lot of people don't like it. I mean, it's, that's fine with me. I'm just glad that they took the risk to do something as bold as that, that arc. 
uh, and do something so strange and so different and with such a weird character. Mieber Gascon, I mean, he's, he's great. He's, and it's only one of the few good guys I played on the show. Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, you, you did uh, kind of uh, stick to mostly the bad guys. When you I mean, uh, go down this list, kind of, you know, Tar- he's a gray area. Oh no! Come on, the guy is as evil as they come. What well, but not in the Clone Wars. Well, he's just getting his feet on the ground at that point. We we see an evolution with him. We start to see him become that that bureaucrat that was very just not focused on the people, but only himself and the the goal of oppression that the Empire was promoting. We see him evolve into that during the Clone Wars, especially in that final arc from Season 5, the Ahsoka on Trial arc. Oh, yeah. Where where I see, Stephen, that's when Tarkin really starts coming into his own in the Clone Wars series. Did you make a conscious effort to, to bring him closer to what we see in A New Hope by that point in time? Absolutely. Once I saw the scripts and, you know, had the chance to talk to Dave about it, we knew that we're getting into more sort of imperialistic territory here. And, uh, you know, the one thing and I talked about this before, it's it's sad in the last episode. I think I think it's the last one where they're having the big actually uh, one of the imperial guards that uh, Anakin is fighting is me. I did the voice for that. But it's. or whatever they call the the Jedi guards, the guys in, with the yellow lightsabers. Yes, yes, you were one of those. I didn't realize that. Yeah, you know, they, they put more of that kind of stuff in, but unfortunately what they took out was that huge chunk of dialogue between myself, Kat Tabor, and Ashley Eckstein. Where we're all talking in the courtroom where Tarkin brings up the whole thing where he says, well, if Ahsoka Tano is innocent, then why did the Jedi themselves you know, kick her out of the order. And there's kind of like the, <gasps> in the courtroom where they realize they've been had. And I, you know, I, I wish they would have left that in because it so cements who he was or who he had become and how he was starting to betray people right there for his own means. You know, Dave was already saying at this point, Tarkin is, he's into the, he's into the power. And now that he's starting to get the military behind him, he's starting to use that power. And, you know, he's, there's no stopping him at this point. So that was kind of where we left off at the Clone Wars with him really getting to be the guy that's going to be that, you know, the commander of the Death Star. No doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. it was. I, I felt it. I, I felt we were definitely moving in that direction. And I, I was curious to see how he would evolve, at least during that Clone Wars era, into the Peter Cushing character that we're always so familiar with. But uh, unfortunately, uh, the, 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 the show had to come to an end. So, uh, you know, maybe there's a, there's a, there'll be a venue in the future where we can see that character evolve more and more. That's always possible. And, you know, and I know a lot of people are upset by the end of the Clone Wars. But, um, you know, the thing is about um, uh, that show is that we were starting to get into areas that wasn't the Clone Wars anymore, especially in season six. Um, We were starting to do storylines that were going beyond it, that were becoming Star Wars, you know, the Star Wars saga. So they kind of had to make a a judgment call and, um, you know, and... uh, and, and make a decision about where they wanted the stories to go. But, I mean, you know, there's so much stuff established. Like in the Mieber Gascon arc, there's that great uh, scene that goes by so many people where Mieber is on the ship uh, the holog- with, the, with the holographic crew and Tarkin is on board. He's part of the holographic crew. And my theory has always been that 
well, that's the that's the technology he must have used on the Death Star to prevent his own death to make you think that he was there. All the things blew up. <laughs> oh. you know, I asked I asked Dave Loney about this. <laughs> that's some serious talk. retconning, but uh, I, I like it. I like where you're going. Well, that's the thing. It's like because I asked Dave. I said, so why is why is Tarkin on on board the ship? And he's like, you mean the uh, cruiser? You mean the space station where they're having the um, the meeting? I said, no, the. Uh, you know the, the 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 Jedi cruiser, where it's the hologram crew, and Dave's like, "I'm going to have to check back with you on that." So, <laughs> <laughs> so my my theory is is that they established because see, this is the thing that people keep forgetting. This was not a communication hologram where you're sending like you know a high bandwidth thing, and you get that sort of you know low res uh, resolution of somebody that you know, looks like a blue black and white TV. Uh, monitor. This was a stationary holographic projector that made a crew appear as if they were actually there, to the point that Gascon and everybody else thought that the ship was populated. So if it's that good, and it's something that just is installed on a on a Jedi cruiser or on a Death Star, as it were, you could actually make a case that Tarkin didn't die on the Death Star. There's no proof now. You can make a case, but there's the one line of dialogue that sort of... Pre- provides a speed bump for your little theory here is is when uh he's approached by uh one of his fellow officers about the idea of getting out of there and tarkin says evacuate in a moment of triumph surely you overestimate their chances so clearly he is still on board the ship on the on board the space station how do you know that's not a hologram well i mean because the space we don't see, we don't know. And even so, he could be false no. bravado. He could just be saying that, and immediately he turns around, clicks his heels, and he's out the door, man. Yeah, what is he? If he's a hologram, Jim, what's he going to say? Ah, oh, it's all right. I'm just a hologram. Exactly, Jim. No, no. He's not. He's not going to give it up. No, I know no, Jimmy no. likes to come at me. He did the same thing at C six, man. He put me over the grill over whether or not Tarkin knows who Darth Vader really <laughs> is. It's like, of course he did. Anybody that comes into a room and says, you know, I feel the presence of my old master, and the other guy says, Oh, you mean Obi Wan Kenobi? It's since everyone pretty much knows who everyone's Padawan was, especially when Tarkin worked directly with the Jedi. You kind of have to make the assumption that he knows exactly who Darth Vader is. Oh, he knows who he's dealing with. I mean, yeah. so if you're if you're Tarkin. Uh, and you're obviously the guy's very competitive. He they're all jockeying for position. He's going to know who all of it. He's going to have done all his research and mm-hmm. know who his competition is. And Vader was competition. Well, okay. Listen, maybe he could put two and two together as far as that's concerned. But when you're talking about evacuating, you're talking about leaving the place that is currently under attack and the mm-hmm. Death Star space station. The space station that Grand Moff Tarkin was hanging out in was currently under attack. So why would a hologram want to evacuate a place that's under attack? Well, that's what Jason said he wouldn't. The hologram is, gives you the line that you just referenced there. Well, evacuate in a moment of triumph. I think you underestimate that, overestimate that chances. So the, the hologram says, forget about it. I'm not here. Meanwhile, Tarkin is really in the escape pod, no. making it, you know, do, going boogity scoot back to wherever, you know, planet is in the nearest solar star system. Yeah. No way, no way Jose. That's, that's, hey. That was Tarkin. He's, he was blasted to bits. You don't, we don't know that. There's a new book coming out. I think you've heard, right? Yes, yes. I, I wanted to pick your brain about that because I guess we really do get inside Tarkin's mind and, and learn a lot about this character. And this is a book that is going to be considered 100% 
canon as far as the saga goes. You know, and I don't know, maybe this is going to go back to Tarkin being a holy man from George Lucas's original notes uh, and, uh, you know, the whole thing of his association with the Jedi. We, we don't know where this is going. No, no. But it, it will answer some questions. It'll answer some questions about his connection to Anakin Skywalker and how that evolves as Anakin turns into Darth Vader. It's going to um, definitely address things like how Tarkin rose through the ranks and how he gained favor with the Emperor. And Absolutely. It's, and it's also going to address how he applies the rouge to his cheekbones. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Emperor was actually scared of him. That's what I'm going to... That's my guess. You think so? I think, think so. He, I think he could intimidate the Emperor. Well, you know what? It's, it's interesting to think that the Emperor would actually give an underling control over something so powerful as the Death Star. Because, see, that's the one thing we never really saw in, in the Star Wars movies. We never saw the relationship uh, between Tarkin and Palpatine. We never saw that. We know in The Revenge of the Sith we see... You know, Palpatine bringing Vader on board the uh, the cruisers, and they're watching the Death Star being built out the window. But we don't know anything after the fact. We don't know if he said, "Take this guy under your wing." We see. We, well, we do know this: the Emperor trusts Tarkin a lot because if he's handing Vader over to him, the newly formed Anakin now, you know, just turned into Vader to Tarkin. We know Tarkin's pretty high up on the ladder. For uh, Palpatine to be taking him into his trust with this new, with Darth Vader, who is you know really Anakin Skywalker, wouldn't it be wild if it was revealed that Tarkin actually had some sort of dark side ability that he had some way I, of? Funneling I think that's you know. I think I think you're right on the money there. I think that's not that's something you can't rule out at this point. I don't we don't know enough about Tarkin. There's been a lot of stuff written in the EU, but as we know, that's kind of been scratched off the list. What we do know is that the new novels are going to be canon. So whatever comes out is going to be fresh news to all of us. And the Tarkin novel comes out uh, in uh, November. Later on this year by James Lucino, and that excites me. I loved his uh, work with Darth Plagueis. I mean, that was a great example of probably the EU at its, at its finest. So to have that, that same kind of, um, of work coming in and, and exploring the character of Tarkin is, is really exciting. I just hope that you get to do the audio book, Steve. Well, you never know. There's always things like that out there. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, because the the audio book of uh, of the Plagueis novel, and I and the, the gentleman's name escapes me, but one of the finest performances I've heard in an audio book, and he just captured the essence of uh, of of Palpatine so well. And I just think it would be really, really a wise move for these guys to start to, especially when you have a book that is focused so solely on one particular character. I mean, who who better? Who better? Thank you, thank you, Jason. Maybe Jimmy and I'll do a little something when the book comes out. Like there you uh, go. Yeah, maybe we'll play around with an excerpt or two. That would be a lot of fun. That would be a yeah. lot. Uh, Stephen, are you are you the kind of uh, actor who? Well, I, you're, you're obviously a Star Wars fan, so you've got that, you know, going for you. But I mean, are you interested in in keeping up with the, you know, what's going on with this character and some of these other mediums like the comics and the books? You know, I wish I had the time to, but I but I just don't. I mean, it's hard for me to keep keep up on just, you know, current movies and television shows and stuff, and I I don't really get to read, you know, that much like I like I would. I mean, back 
back when I was younger, I mean, I used to be a big comics fan, graphic novel guy. I had, uh, you know, read a lot of stuff. And, you know, I was, I was there when The Dark Knight came out and The Watchmen and all that kind of stuff. And I had subscriptions to my different, you know, favorite Marvel uh, titles and things. But I just, you know, I don't have the time today, which is, it's, you know, it's too bad in one way. But the great thing is the reason I don't have the time is I'm working on things like, you know, the 7D and the Clone Wars and things like that. So that's the upside to that. And let's not forget uh, the Roger Ebert documentary, Life Itself. A lot of uh, Rebel Force Radio listeners have been hearing me talk about it because, of course, I've been, uh, I've been uh, doing what I can to get the word out about this incredible documentary. I, I had a personal connection with Roger, having worked with him here in Chicago. And, uh, Stephen, y- you provide the voice for uh, Roger Ebert throughout this documentary, which is, by the way, out in theaters now and uh, available uh, via video on demand. So if you are a fan of of filmmaking, a fan of Roger's reviews, or uh, just a a fan of the history of movies, uh, you hear some great stories from guys like Martin Scorsese, who's a producer on this film. He talks in great detail about the effect and the impact that Roger Ebert had on his career. And of course, Roger was a big Star Wars fan. That doesn't really get touched on at all during the film itself, but that is something to keep in mind. And uh, Stephen, the, the job you did portraying Roger via your, your voice matching was really incredible. And now people are starting to notice. I have a, a review here by Dana Stevens from Slate.com. And so if you just give me a second, I'm going to read a, a little excerpt here. She says, Long portions of the documentary are accompanied by voiceover narration from the 2011 memoir from which the film takes its name, Life Itself. But anyone who read that memoir or is familiar with the story of the critic's last eight years during which a series of operations for thyroid cancer deprived him of most of his lower jaw as well as the ability to drink, eat, or speak, will find themselves puzzling over the fact that these vivid stories are coming to us in the voice of a man who, at the time, words were written, no longer had a voice at all. In fact, the narrator is Stephen Stanton, a vocal impressionist who's an expert at voice matching and who captures Ebert's familiar Midwestern cadences with uncanny accuracy. Finding Stanton was a major coup on Steve, director Steve James' part. His incarnation of the critic is more than an impersonation. It's a true performance, and it leaves the audience with the eerie feeling that Ebert has somehow come back to life long enough to tell his own story. Now, Stephen, <clears throat> I know walking out of the theater when I first saw it at Sundance, I was... Really, you know, knowing you being there at the theater with you, I still lost myself in the performance that you did bringing Roger Ebert's voice and Roger Ebert himself back to life via his own words. There was a time during the documentary where you are speaking Roger Ebert's words from his memoir at the same time, they're showing video of Roger himself speaking and. As Dana Stevens says on Slate.com, uncanny accuracy. There is no difference. It is indistinguishable your 
your voice matching of Rogers. And so now the film's out there. Everyone gets a chance to see it. So this must be a really big thrill for you to know that the film is out there on a wide basis and, and people anywhere can see it now. Yeah, it's uh, it's very gratifying. And I want to thank both of you guys because uh, Rebel Force Radio uh, was one of the first places to get the word out to, uh, to the public at large that this was something that was out, a film that was out there. And especially to you, Jimmy Mack, and your wife, Wendy, for coming with us and covering the media on this stuff. It's really important. I mean, part of the reason that's very gratifying to me is knowing that you, from Chicago, Knowing Roger, actually sat next to him in the theater watching a Star Wars film. Yes, uh, that 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 it came across as as genuine as it did for you because it was a big risk actually from our side over uh, you know me doing the voice and from the director and Chaz Ebert side to decide to do this. It, nobody really knew how it was going to be accepted by the public to have someone you know sort of emulate Roger's voice. It could have could have gone any direction nobody really knew it was uh, it was a crapshoot you know we were really taking a gamble on that and so everyone's very pleased myself i think more than anyone that it's been so well accepted by the critics and the and the public and that they really enjoy hearing you know almost kind of like it makes you believe that Roger's still with us that you can kind of hear his voice uh still talking to you in the theater i mean you know we uh when we got through the la uh, premiere uh, Werner Herzog was in the audience. He, it was his first time seeing it, Jimmy. He had not seen the film before. And we went up and talked to him afterwards, and he was still in tears. You know, he was like, oh, I'm ready for a drink. I need a beer. I, well, you know? well, yeah, uh, he he Werner, thought it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Werner Herzog, for our listeners who don't know, is a, uh, a noted uh, director who did an incredible documentary as he shot video on, uh, I believe it was the North Pole. And, I mean, he really went to places no other person's ever been. And, uh, I, gosh, I, I don't know the name of the film right off the top of my head, but he actually dedicated the film to Roger Ebert because of the impact that Ebert had on his career as a filmmaker. And so he created this incredible uh, look at a, at a place on the earth where very few people ever get a chance to go. And it's some beautiful cinema photography throughout. And uh, so uh, Werner Herzog is a guy who knew Ebert. And so uh, obviously you probably, you know, yeah, you, you, you shook him down to his socks as far as nailing that Ebert voice. Another guy who, know, who knew Roger, and, you know, most of us are familiar with the voice that Roger had, uh, you know, all the years he, he did it at the movies and sneak previews and all those shows. So, yeah, man, hats off to you. I, I'm, I'm so excited that now the film is available for everyone to see. After I've seen it three times, and I just can't, I can't stop telling people, you got to see it. You, you really have to see it. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Like, like I said, Magnolia Pictures is now distributing it, and they're rolling it out across the country, uh, you know, city by city. And the great thing is, if you can't see it in a theater near you, you can always see it on video on demand. It's on a lot of places like iTunes and, you know, things like that. So they're really uh, making it available to everyone. And like you said, Jimmy, he was a big fan of Star Wars. You know, you actually had <laughs> you had a conversation or disagreement with him uh, about his reviews and stuff. And so he was, he was very much, as they say, in a film, he was very much about film for the people, and he didn't uh, put his nose up at a film like Star Wars or anything like that. A good popcorn movie, he enjoyed that just like he enjoyed a you know a deep sort of like foreign film that was you know had a message to it. You know, yeah, yeah. He never expected more 
out of the film than what it was intended to provide. And that was kind of a skill of his as far as being a reviewer was that he didn't put some films, you know, hold them to certain standards. He accepted them for what they were and what they were trying to achieve. And definitely with the Star Wars films, he loved them. I guess I did. I, I, I did work with Roger in the studio at uh, Loop Radio Station. I did sit next to him at the opening night of the Empire Strikes Back special edition at uh, McClure Court in downtown <laughs> Chicago. And, uh, have, you Roger, told, have you told your, uh, your listeners on Rebel Force Radio about that incident? Uh, I, I think I did. I think Empire I did. Strikes Back. You know, uh, long, long story short, we were in there uh, for about uh, 20 minutes before Roger nodded off and uh, fell asleep on my shoulder. And uh, so I held very still <laughs> until uh, he woke up to the sound of the asteroid field chase as the Falcon is being pursued by Imperial Star Destroyers through the asteroid belt. Uh, there was a loud explosion that kind of shook Roger awake. He rubbed his hand down his face and looked at me and looked at the aisle and got up and walked out. And I said, well, I guess Roger's done for the night. But uh, no, Roger was just uh, getting himself refueled. He came back with a giant tub of popcorn and a large Coke and settled in for the film. And when Roger reviewed it, I was shocked because he said, Chewbacca was growling too much throughout the film, and that bugged him. So I I don't know. Maybe I maybe I put him in a funky mood for that. Maybe I was growling too much. And he thought, oh. Well, there you go. As a true lover of cinema, he likes a good popcorn film. Yeah, but sure. you know, Jason, I, I've been wanting to ask you. So you're kind of like you joined the Great White Way there with everything that you're doing on Broadway now, right? Is that true? Or well, I I, uh, I work. At a performing arts center on the marketing and uh, public relations side, and we're uh, we're a, a, a stop on the for touring Broadway, and uh, we yeah we have a, quite a quite a market and quite an audience here for touring Broadway in Cleveland. So it's one of the it's actually the second largest performing arts center in the country, and certainly a stopping point for uh, all of the major tours. We always end up on the usually on the first leg of of each tour so yeah it's very it's very exciting but i i wanted to ask you when it it comes to the voice doubling so anyone who's you know obviously ever recorded themselves and played themselves back you know that there is a difference between what you perceive your voice to sound like coming through your own head and as it resonates and what it actually sounds like to the outside world so Stephen, when you're in a situation like you were with uh life itself and you are trying to match a a pre you know so that there's a bridge between the the man's actual voice and your voice are you are you relying on your own ear? Are you relying on others to tell you? I mean, how do you how do you make those adjustments? How do you account for the difference between how it's sounding to you and how it's sounding outside? Well, after after I've done my studying, which is you know just like I did with Peter Cushing on Clone Wars, uh, same thing with Roger Ebert. I'm giving reference tapes, sound files about how they they imagine this person to sound in this project. Uh, once I think I've got it down, as far as I can tell, then I have to hand it off to somebody. Usually it's uh, first person is my managers. Uh, they'll listen to it and kind of help dial me in closer. And uh, Because after a while, I can't tell anymore. It's just like you said. I, I, it, I'm not a good judge at a certain point to where it needs to go you know, to dial it in. Uh, they'll help me dial it in. And then uh, when we get to the session, then there's also you're dialing in the performance in addition to the voice. So the voice may be we want it to be a little bit more 
you know, somber here or a little bit more joyful here, you know, based on the scene that we're doing. So uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot of people that have input on that to help make it work. I mean, I've done when I've done ADR for feature films that I'm replacing an actor, there are times when they'll sit me down and actually have me watch the first two reels of the film. So I get an idea of what that actor is doing in that film because you know every actor is not turning in a one note performance you can do an impression of like John Wayne or Sean Connery or somebody like that <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're always doing the same thing in a film right. you know um, right. and with Roger Ebert in particular the hardest part about that is was I was delivering words that he had never spoken out loud they were only written down so we had to kind of like to get into his mind where he was when he wrote those different passages in the book and say how was he feeling about that you know Steve James had a the director had an excellent grasp on the material and we talked at length about each each passage about where you know Roger's mind might have been at what he might have been trying to convey, and then how we wanted to try to do the same in the film. And uh, like I said, so there's a lot of people involved when we're doing a voice match. It's just not not it's not me just you know winding up and and you know letting loose. Uh, everybody gets a say in it. You know, in particular the director. Do you ever get into a position, Stephen, where you're being coached into you in your own head? It it starts to not sound right, or do you just is it muscle memory? Or are you relying on your ear? I don't think I've ever been coached into a direction where I don't think it's sound right. Because usually when I'm talking to somebody and I'm asking their advice, I've usually done the groundwork where I, you know, where I've got the base down. Um, so that I don't, I can't remember any other time where that's happened where I thought we were really, I was being led off in, a, in the wrong direction. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very fascinating, and it's uh, certainly it's a different it's a different kind of talent. There's one. There's one, you know, um, there, there's a type that can be a mimic, and then there's a type that can crawl into a person's head and their psyche and, and anticipate what they might have done. And uh, it's, it's something that can't be taught. So it's really, really special. And I think it's fantastic that you're getting the recognition for this kind of work because it Thank really you. is. Yeah. Like, you know, and yeah, that's the difference between just doing a straight impression and then, you know, being an actor and taking something and going the full, you know, the next step with it. <clears throat> that happened in this film. It happens when I'm doing ADR for a feature film because the actor's not there and you're trying to get into that person's head and say, how would that person deliver this line? You know, you can't just, you know, you can't, you can't just like just do whatever. Oh, this would be funny. You know, like when we're fooling around and doing, you know, like Horsehead Rebel Fighter and all that stuff, that's one thing. But when you're doing something, even like Tarkin, it wasn't like just imitating Peter Cushing. It was taking Peter Cushing and then trying to decide what that character, not Peter Cushing specifically, but what the character Tarkin might have been like, you know, 20, 25 years prior to episode four. That was the thing that informed, you know, all my decisions when I went in and read the way that I did. It wasn't like I'm just going to do a straight on Peter Cushing. This was like this is Peter Cushing before this was Tarkin before that character. So he has to be different in some way. He has to still remind us of him, but he can't be that guy. Otherwise, the Jedi and everybody else, nobody in their right mind would, would, would work with him side by side. So what do you subtract from your performance? Maybe a little bit of confidence? 
I think there was, it's like what I said, what I went back to is I looked at all of Peter Cushing's films and I went back when his younger years and I thought, you know, Sherlock Holmes is the one that comes closest to what I think Tarkin would have been like. Somebody who's very confident of himself, rubs people the wrong way, but still gets the job done. And, you know, Sherlock Holmes is like that. He's a good guy, but think of how many people he irritates. You know, from sure. Scotland Yard to Watson himself. I mean, he's because he's he's a know-it-all. And I kind of put Tarkin as he's a little Tarkin's kind of like that. I can inform the Tarkin character with what Peter Cushing brought to the Sherlock Holmes character and use that as a jumping off point. And then, of course, the dialogue is going to dictate. You know, something else, you know, wh- what happens in the scene, whether he's talking to Ahsoka Tano or he's trying to trap her, uh, where he's trying to get his way with the Jedi. Now we're starting to see a little bit more of that Peter Cushing from episode four coming in here. But Sherlock Holmes was the jumping off point for me. And then kind of bringing some youth to the character because he's out in the battlefield. He's got a gun in his hand. He's not just, you know, barking orders from a big chair in a, in a conference room. He's out there getting his hands dirty as Captain Tarkin in the, in the original uh, season three uh, arc where he appears. So he's got to be a, you know, a, a vibrant sort of a character that's willing to go out there and, you know, get in the battlefield and go up against the enemy. Yeah. Uh, so there's much more to the character than just a sort of this thoughtful sort of evil planner, you know, the the no good Nick that we all know from episode four. Right on. And and that's what was the great thing about the Clone Wars is we got to see these characters in a different light. We got to see them out on the battlefield. Someone like Tarkin. We got to see him in an adventure with Jedi. We, we got to see uh, Admiral Akbar in an adventure actually out there. You know, fighting, getting his his hands dirty, and uh, as uh, you you like you said, you played so many uh, great characters in the Clone Wars. Uh, you returned to uh, play Masamito one last time in season six, and also you played a, a character, um, a, a moon, a moon. I guess we call them um, a moon called Mac Plane, and that's mm-hmm. a, a character that uh, was brought back for that. Uh, that great Rush Clovis arc. So uh, let's just get inside Mac Plane's head for a second, and maybe you can give us an idea of, of what your take is on that character. Yeah, you know, he's uh, part of the banking clan, so there was a bit of like, there's a, a certain sort of uh, an elegance and snootiness to that guy that I felt was appropriate, because they've got all the money. They make all the, they make all the decisions. So it wasn't... Uh, you know, and when you see the drawing of the characters, that kind of helps, you know, uh, help you make the, helps you make the decision of where you're kind of going to go with these characters. It's very difficult to do it without the drawing. Then you're kind of grasping at straws, you know, just kind of, well, what would he be like this? But once you see the, the model sheet, and uh, Clone Wars is very good for the most part on getting us model sheets the day of the recording or, you know, to say like, here's, you know, what you did. Here's what this character looks like. Now you can kind of like, you know, maybe adjust your performance now that you know what the physical, uh, the physicality of this character is. And the moons, like I said, was very sort of slow moving, slow talking, a little elegance, a slight snootiness, that kind of thing. Um, You know, as opposed to like, was that other character I did? He didn't have a name uh, when I did him, but now they call him like Jay Ingo or something, the cab driver. In uh, the 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 clone arc at the beginning of season six, the one is like, ah, your mother's a droid and all that stuff, and you know, he's you know, hey, you guys, clones, they hang out, 
you know, it was just a, a cab driver and it was something that was kind of thrown at me like right on the spot, you know, and he said, oh, he kind of looks like a cat or something like this. And so I kind of came up with that uh, sort of a, you know, a big city cab driver kind of guy. Uh, it's different for each character, you know, um, it's it's and like I said, with Clone Wars, it's it's kind of a double edged sword because you're doing both well-established characters and you're doing brand new characters that people have never seen before. So you've got a lot to, uh, to play with there in that, uh, in that sandbox. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And of course, season six and all the seasons of the clone wars are available on Netflix. And so, uh, we, we recommend all of our listeners check that out, but we know you already have. And uh, we also want you to check out uh, Disney XD's The 7D, featuring uh, Steven as Sleepy. And uh, that's Monday nights on the XD. And, of course, oh, that's, sorry to interrupt. That's actually weekdays at 10 a.m. 9 central, Monday through Friday. They're showing it every day? Well, the yep, website website says new episodes Monday nights at 9. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure what that's all about. Maybe that means on the web because they'll bring new episodes on the web and you can watch them live there. Maybe that's when they come live at 9 o'clock at night. But every morning they're on. They're on first thing in the morning, 10 a.m. or like I said, 9 central. I did notice my DVR filled up with episodes really fast. So that <laughs> yeah, you got it. I don't know. I don't know if it was the original plan to show them every single day of the week, but I'm glad they have. I did actually. Today's episode was a sleepy solo episode where he gets to sing a song for the first time in the series and uh, <laughs> save the day. Yay, sleepy! <laughs> That's awesome. Oh and yeah. So- so that's I get to see, when you when you're in this Disney world, Disney family, you get to sing a lot. Like I, when I was in Doc McStuffins as Gustav Gator, I got to sing in that too. There's there's kind of no no way no getting out of it. You get the hit singles one way or the other. That's oh amazing. my god, Stephen! I was not aware that you did a Doc. So Gustav uh, Gator. Oh my Gustav gosh, Gator! Oh, it's tummy I ate too much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, now I'm going to be important to my five-year-old. Tomorrow morning when I say that I talked to Gustav Gator from Doc McStuffins, I'm going to be a big deal at the breakfast table tomorrow. There you go. Well, yeah, I just went to a five-year-old's birthday party and got the same reaction. So, yeah, I'm kind of seeing the power of Doc McStuffins. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's awesome. And, of course, Life Itself, the Roger Ebert documentary featuring yourself, Stephen, as the voice of Ebert is in theaters and on uh, video on demand. And I cannot recommend that enough. And let's hope that Dave Filoni decides to put Horshead Rebel Fighter into that Star Wars Rebels <laughs> program you'd be talking about. Uh, yeah, I hope he has Sean Connery's voice, too, when it comes down to it. I hope so, too, because I love Sean Connery's. He's one of the best guys out there. I'm, I hope to see him at C7 with all the rest of you guys. I hope he's there with that horse head mask and everything. I, I hope you're there, W, and I hope Christopher Walken is uh, tagging along as well. You know, I've been trying to get on to this C7. I still got tickets for the last one. Are they still good? I mean, is there, do they expire? <laughs> I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. <laughs> I think you guys are good. You guys got a shoe into that, right? Oh, that's right. We Next. don't we don't need no tickets. No, you don't need any tickets. Uh, just our shoes are going to make it in that <laughs> I need tickets. That's who needs tickets. <laughs> nobody's invited us yet. Yeah, nobody's invited me yet. It's just, uh, still uh still got uh 
no invitation is a mail, but uh, we'll see what happens between now and then. <laughs> hopefully That's something so will come up. Oh, you have to be there. You have to be there. Yeah. The whole we'll, we'll buy tickets just to see you guys. That, yes. I'll, I'll say that right now. I'll go on record right now. We'll yes. all buy tickets to, to see Jimmy Mack and Jason implode on stage. Exactly. <laughs> In front of that thousands. Is be, this is going to be, this will be, it will be a C, will be a celebration long remembered. <laughs> That's uh, well. Thank you so much, Stephen. We uh, certainly could uh, talk to you forever, but we've taken up uh, enough of your time for sure, and we really appreciate that you've been able to hang with us so for so long tonight and on this week's uh, Rebel Force Radio. You are definitely a friend of the show. There's no question about that. Oh, uh, thanks a lot. And remember, Tarkin's a Jedi. Maybe we don't know. Who knows? And a hologram. And, and a hologram. <laughs> and remember, Morallo Eval lives. Morallo Evol, yes. Him and circus peanuts and old spice and a Winnebago, and I'm good for the next galactic adventure. <laughs> and, you know, that's the other thing I was I, just in passing Tarkin and Morallo Evol. You know, my brother Roy has sculpted those beautiful 1 6 scale um, um, figures of Morallo and Meeber Gascon. And he has, uh, I think I sent you the picture, Jimmy, of the work yes. in progress. He's working on the next one, which is a Clone Wars version of Tarkin. That's amazing. Can I put that on our Facebook page? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is not based on so much the drawing of Tarkin in Clone Wars, but rather what would Peter Cushing have looked like if he had played Tarkin in the Clone Wars? Oh, that's very cool. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to put that picture up, and I'm going to put the picture of you and Filoni with the uh, Godzilla poster at. Oh, yeah, that's in, great. Yeah, that's good stuff. There's a cape in that bag, too. I don't know if Dave has worn it yet, but. <laughs> okay. Dave, he might have tried it on. There's Each one of those bags from, from San Diego Comic Con last year was a bag that you could strap onto your back, and then there was a cape that unfurled on, inside of it with a logo on it. They had a, an Adam West Batman one. They had like three or four different kinds. The Godzilla was one of them. And there's a cape inside of there, too. So you can be like a Godzilla superhero or something. I don't know. All right. Well, Stephen, thanks again for being with us. And uh, our best to you and the whole crew there uh, with you, uh, Dutch and Kathy and anybody else that might be listening. We, uh, we really we'll appreciate your bye. time. Bye. <laughs> See you all. Thanks again. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's a good crew right there. That's a good crew. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. that's going to wrap things up for this week's show nice to be back nice to have you with us big thanks to Stephen Stanton for joining us in the cantina and we really do mean it when we say we couldn't be happier for Stephen and all his success and the recognition finally the recognition Jim I feel like not just in Stephen's case but as a whole I feel that there's a whole new bit of respect for voice actors and you know voice doublers and all of that stuff they're starting to realize that they're real actors they're real artists and uh they're very important to the craft yeah and i i certainly hope the academy remembers that this time next year when it comes time for the not patient and life itself has got to be considered 
for some serious Academy nom- nomination, not only for Steven's performance, but for the filmmaking on a whole. It's an absolutely fabulous film, and uh, I definitely think that uh, there could be several Academy Award nominations in mind for life itself. Check it out, video on demand, or at the theater near you. Also, thanks to our sponsors this week, Dorkside Toys and Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Couldn't do the show without you guys, so we appreciate that. Uh, if you'd like to play with us in between shows, best way to do that is email show at rebelforceradio.com. That's show at rebelforceradio.com. The voicemail line, 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. And we did say we were going to be working on a all-listener feedback show coming up in the near future, so make sure you get a chance to hear your name or hear your voice on the program and leave us some feedback. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash rebelforceradio, for breaking news, links to stories you won't find anywhere else, and a great conversation by a great group of Star Wars fans. Uh, iTunes, still the number one resource for podcasts. You can subscribe and review not just Rebel Force Radio, but all of the podcasts, part of the Shot Glass Digital Network. Uh, and those reviews, we just have one rule. Make it good. And if you'd like to check out the official website for Rebel Force Radio, it's rebelforceradio.com. And once again, we are part and a proud part of the shotglassdigital.com family of podcasts. And uh, you can check them out, us out, on Facebook at facebook.com slash shotglassdigital. And if you want to hear us uh, just about each and every Saturday night, at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Rebel Force Radio can be heard on Sorcerer's Radio. That's srsounds.com. You can check it out there if you're RFR fix. If you need a fix of an RFR t-shirt, you can also buy those at shotglassdigital.com. All sizes now in stock. Congratulations to our winner and his crabby wife. No, no, I don't mean crabby wife. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, before I get in any more trouble... <laughs> Better sign off here for <laughs> Love you all so much for Rebel Force Radio I'm Jason And I'm Jimmy Man And remember The Force will be with you Always That is a show, my friend.